This week on Sci-Fi with Jesse Mercury, Douglas Gale is back to discuss Babylon 5 Season 3. Let's fucking do it! Jesse Mercury, and this week I have another fantastic conversation with Douglas Gale to share with you. I love talking to this man about Babylon 5. It is so much goddamn fun. We recorded this about two months ago, uh, which which was so funny listening to us talk about Star Trek Discovery, because we touched on it a little bit in this episode. Uh, we talked about this before the Mirror Universe reveal, uh, and it was just so interesting listening to Doug and I kind of you know, theorize about what was going to happen in the show right before it actually went down a very similar path, if not the exact same path to what we were talking about. As you know, I've been, uh, shall we say, less than enthusiastic about Star Trek Discovery and the season finale to season one just aired. So, I, you know, I, I was hoping that the show was going to redeem itself for me and, and show me why it existed and show me that it really was good Star Trek after all. It was going to, like, wrap up the story in a satisfying way and... And no, it didn't. <laughs> I mean, I it, it was fine. It was okay. Like, I still enjoy the show, and I watch it, and I look forward to it. I mean, yes, I loved the last moment, which I'm not going to spoil. I'm not a monster. I loved the last moment. It was wonderful. But the fact that the last moment was the only thing about the entire episode that affected me emotionally in any way, for me, was very telling that the story that they were trying to tell just wasn't landing. My feelings about Star Trek Discovery are definitely something I want to kind of explore more in depth and i'm not sure i'm not sure what to do about that i might do a sci-fi on trial for discovery i'm trying to decide because here's the problem if i put discovery on trial for crimes against fandom of which i think it is guilty then i would probably have to watch the whole thing again to really solidify my thoughts and feelings about it and i don't know if i'm willing to do that because i it wasn't it's just gonna make me mad i don't know i'm not sure that's what i'm thinking about if you want to see star trek discovery put on trial let me know. I'm considering it. I don't know. Let me know. Let me know. Uh, speaking of Sci-Fi on Trial, I'm very excited to announce that Sci-Fi on Trial for the Trial of the Matrix sequels is now out and ready for your listening enjoyment. It's a massive episode, about two and a half hours long. I really, really love it. it it's such an interesting conversation. I feel like these. I feel like these movies were made just for this podcast. So uh, I would love for you to check it out. It's at SciFiOnTrial.com. There is also a bonus episode for the Trial of the Matrix sequels that was released to my Patreon supporters. If you enjoy this podcast and you want it to continue, the best way to support this show is by becoming a Patreon subscriber. Subscriptions start at just $1 a month, and it goes a long way to helping me carve out the time to put these shows together and get them out to you. There are different rewards for different subscription levels. Uh, my favorite is at $2 a month. It is the premium podcast, the next episode of which will actually be content cut out from the episode you're listening to right now. Uh, when Doug and I sat down to record this, it's the first time we'd seen each other since The Last Jedi came out, so we ended up talking about that for about 15 minutes before we jumped into the Babylon 5 discussion. So as a special treat to my Patreon subscribers, I pulled that out and I will be releasing that as a premium podcast within the next few days. You can check that out at patreon.com slash Sci-Fi. Okay, let's get into our discussion with Doug on Babylon 5 Season 3. Massive, massive spoiler warning. We are going to spoil the fuck out of Babylon 5. So be forewarned, spoilers abound. Okay, let's get into it. 
The Babylon Project was our last best hope for peace. It failed. But in the year of the Shadow War, it became something greater. Our last best hope for victory. The year is 2260. The place, Babylon 5. Well, Douglas Gale, welcome back to Hello. the podcast. Episode 3 of Babylon 5. Absolutely. So I watched this a lot faster than I watched the other two seasons of Babylon 5. Because this is where it really hits its stride with the, the serialized storytelling. Yeah. And I just, I really wanted to... Like record with you as soon as possible so I could watch season four because I really wanted to wait. Yeah, uh, but yeah, I mean season three like the show blossomed. It's like yeah. it it went through a really awkward puberty, but is now yeah. an adult. <laughs> and some of those things that I keep have uh, the things that I've been talking about since the beginning on the first two podcasts and with you outside of the podcast are these promises are now mm. being fulfilled. Totally. Not all of them, but there's enough. There, I feel like there's enough promises getting paid off in season three where you're like. Oh, we're in the hands of somebody who knows what the fuck is going on. Absolutely. Where yeah. other serialized shows, <laughs> looking at you, Lost, <laughs> you get to season three and you're like, stop making up new things. Right. Stop making up new. Finish. It's all a trick. Yeah. It's you're just- making up new things to distract me from the fact that you don't know what the answers are to the things that you originally presented. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. As, that as- was that defined my Lost experience in season <sighs> six. Anyway, uh, anyway. Babylon 5 has a real bad problem with subtlety in the sense that it is not subtle in so many ways. Right. But but all of the things that you want for the stories, I feel, are included in the show. Yeah. Stuff that had happened in the first season, which is a terrible, hard-to-get-through season. Stuff that was set up in season two, they're coming to fruition. And yeah. it doesn't... I I didn't never got a sense watching the third season of Babylon Five thinking like oh they're figuring out how to make these things make sense that this is all part of a plan yeah. that's being slowly unfolded for you definitely and yeah, that's, it was that was unquestionable to me in yeah. season three and there's no and I, again this is why I keep going on about how much I love Babylon Five I don't feel like there's other shows that really do that and yeah. do that well. Yeah, it's doing. It is doing what Lost tried to do. It's yeah. trying to like plant mysteries and then unfold them slowly to realize you're inside of something larger than you thought. Right. And maybe the nature of the universe is a little different than you thought. Yeah. Uh, and and that's the type of storytelling that I really love. Yeah. I mean, me the too. Matrix does that. Star Wars does that. Mm-hmm. Uh, Star Trek does that. Like, that's what I love. You yeah. know, at, like uh, deep in the core of science fiction, I think is this idea of of like giving you alternatives of how the universe might work to maybe get you closer to understanding it for yourself. Yeah, that's because we don't know what's going on out there and we can only kind of guess at it. Yeah. And I think that uh, religion does that for a lot of people. Yeah. But I think that that's for me that I think that's very dangerous when you're letting someone else tell you what to think. And I think that's, you know, like pop culture media is a big other way that it happens. Right. And I think that like having that sort of variety of thought in your mind is such a healthy 
thing to help you figure out how to be happy and healthy as an individual instead of as how like other people want you to think because yeah. that's what worked for them. And I do think that some of those things are actual concepts that are addressed in Babylon 5, you know, it's, it's to- totally. It's yeah, really absolutely. <laughs> it's also, it, it, and you see it a lot in this third season, it's one of the more explicitly religious uh, uh, or inclusion yeah, of religion totally. in science fiction. We got to start there because that's, that's the high point of the season for me is the discovery that Sinclair is Valen. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that was that's fucking mind-blowing. Yeah, yeah. And that you, was awesome. And <laughs> that's a great one because they show snippets from flashbacks from season one where you're oh, like totally. oh this is all it's like JMS showing off he's like Basically, no, I yeah. knew I knew like yeah. look look I knew I knew the whole time <laughs> that's a good way to put it it's showing off and I I totally appreciated it because like it really ties the experience together yeah. to go back and see moments that you were confused by yeah. uh, through fresh eyes knowing what people were talking about from two seasons ago yeah. like that is like so satisfying it's also to me one of the best implementations or executions of a time travel story in science fiction. Totally. We're like, I love Star Trek. Star Trek gets like comically bad at time travel where it's basically just like, who cares? Whatever, like whatever you need to have happen can happen in time travel. Right. Cisco traveled back in time and took over a role of some revolutionary bell right. during whatever these riots were. And now, and they make a joke about it later where, where Nog finds his picture and it's like, doesn't that look like Cisco? They're like, eh, whatever. Yeah. Like, you don't come back to the same future. If that happens, time you is know? all fucky in, in, <laughs> yeah. in Star Trek, but this felt like, and I'm not saying it's going to be perfect. There's for one, there's like legitimate inconsistencies between the first two parter and this new one, which is fine. Uh, and you know, time travel is a paradox, but this felt like a crafted gem. Yeah. This felt like something that was like not a, a brilliant idea that he crafted. Yes, and it wasn't an arbitrary. Let's do a time travel episode. This was an integral part into the story of we're going to do time travel, and it's important because this character is going to be the religious figure for this religion a thousand years ago and we're gonna and it's a fun throwaway line that oh babylon 4 disappeared it's actually also a huge plot point right integral to the whole the whole universe of the story of babylon 5 yeah and it 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 makes me wonder where the kernel of the idea for this story came from yeah i think that to me a time travel story like about someone who goes to the past and becomes a religious figure yeah uh that you don't find out for a while i think that that as a kernel for a story itself yeah could maybe enough to make this whole universe around yes yeah because yeah it's yeah. such a cool idea it is it's a great core concept and yeah. then to keep talking about that figure says oh this is the other this gets me in a side road i think what star trek or any episodic show does is uh, by its very nature, you have an episode, you're like, I want to do this. I want to do a time travel story where somebody's a religious figure. You wind up having to introduce that religion in that episode. Right. Then deal with it and then settle it and right. then move on. Right, right, right. This is like, no, we had two seasons where we just knew the that the Minbari worshipped a guy named Valen. You've been hearing people say in Valen's, in Valen's name. name. Yeah, and talking Constantly. about him. Yeah, yeah, and the whole thing about About him. how wise he is. Yeah, a and Minbar not of, like, born of Minbar. Of, of, the, of Minbari like not of humans you yeah. know like yeah. there's no way to predict this right it, it, but all of the pieces have been there all, exactly all yeah the, the 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 transformation the transformation from, right Glenn. like yeah oh, 
it's it's, it's and, and being like prophesized that Delenn was going to transform because it was prophesized by the guy who knew her <laughs> right because and that's the part where it's a paradox where come on it's so good his prophecies so are good. based on what he knew already happened because totally. they and, happened but it also I mean it it totally fucks with this whole thing that I hate which is the idea of like it's been prophesized and it's going to happen right I mean I, I hate it because I'm such a sucker for it sure, you know yeah. because like uh, like Star Wars has that how yeah. Anakin Skywalker was prophesized to bring balance to the Jedi and maybe right. it's by destroying them which this movie you know with the last Jedi kind of uh looks at a little bit which I thought was exciting anyway yeah. fuck I lost my train uh, prophecies prophecies, prophecies in science thank fiction you. Yeah. Uh, and Harry Potter being the other big example yeah. where when a prophecy was introduced in book 5 I was like I, I would have been pissed if it hadn't been written so well into the story and made me so interested right. but but you have to you whenever you do that you have to kind of show why the prophecy is true from a different point of view. Sure. And yeah. that I'm just kind of over that and I feel like it's it's time to move on from that in, yeah. in our pop culture storytelling. It's been covered. Yeah, yeah, it's been covered exactly. But then to see a story about a, the the reason that a prophecy was formed through science fiction yeah. where it it like makes perfect logical it's a sense. It's time travel paradox that yeah. then is the prophecy for these other people. That's cool. I like, love it. I've yeah. never seen that before. Yeah. You know, that just like re it reframes something about Babylon 5 that I found kind of, like, I, I'll use the word droll, I'll yeah, say, yeah, yeah, like yeah, the yeah, prophecy yeah. from the Minbari yeah. about what was going to happen. I'm like, all right. Yeah. yeah. I mean, every thousand years, this big evil comes, whatever. Sure. But but that, you know, and I'm like, that's fine. I like it. It's a good it's a good thing, but it's very unoriginal. Yep. But I was wrong. You yeah. know, I was super wrong, and I was so happy about that. Yeah, it's and it, such it a was, great take. Yeah, that's like a great moment for me in my TV watching history, like yeah. discovering that Sinclair is a Valen. I was yeah. like, because <gasps> yeah. it happens slowly throughout the episode. Like, it, I knew it before it actually happens. One you know? of the best things about Babylon 5, uh, its lack of, I think, widespread popularity huh. is how easy it is to this many years later not have huge spoilers. That's such for a good point. Something <laughs> like that where you could still enjoy it. Like when we've been talking about it, there's stuff where I'm like, oh, I'm so excited to hear how you react to it. <laughs> yeah, totally. Yeah, oh. I mean, I'm, pro- I'm now I feel bad because I just spoiled this for other people. But no, but we said at the beginning that yeah, we'll set it. I'll put I'll put a tag on the front for sure. Because even episode, yeah. even the first season we talked about, we talked. Spoilers. We always spoil. We, yeah, we spoil the if season you, we're I, talking about. I, if this is the first episode of the show you've listened to, <laughs> if there's a show that we're talking about on the show, we're gonna spoil it yeah. unless I say otherwise. <laughs> Which is very rare. Anyway. Uh, yeah, I mean... You get to see future Londo. Yeah. Oh, that. man, those future scenes were so cool. Right. And here's the other thing is that now, this is what I love about Babylon 5, is you're in the hands, obviously. At this point, if you don't realize it, then you don't deserve TV. But <laughs> you're clearly in the hands of a creator who has said to you, I will make you promises and I will fulfill these promises. Yes. So now it's like, oh, great. It's, it's not just... It's not just what would Londo look like if he was old and evil in the future. It's like this is an important part of the story. Totally. You know? Yeah. Yeah, totally. Like this is where the story's going to go. And yeah. we're gonna like now we have to figure out how to get there also on yeah. top of everything else that's going on. Right. It's so good. Like it's so cool. Yeah. There's still so there's still so many things about the show that are obnoxious, you oh, know, <laughs> like 100%. so many, so many like, 100%. Uh, technical choices and sure. uh, like design choices. Yeah. The, the not hiring actors that are good acting choices. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, things that are kind of out of the control of one person yeah. that I find very frustrating. Yeah. Uh, but I'm very sure at this point that 
the storytelling is very sound. You yes. know, like the storytelling itself <laughs> is is something that is super worth experiencing Absolutely. in this show. Absolutely. It's such a it's such a bizarre piece of culture because of how unbelievably bad it can be, but how unbelievably good it also can be. Right. It's totally. really fascinating. Cuz there's it's I've said before, it's worst episodes are worse than any Star Trek episode or movie that's ever been made. Absolutely. The worst Babylon 5s will hold up against just about any show's is, worst episodes. What Have I seen the worst episode, or is that still coming? No, I feel like we're now out of the woods. Okay, good. You for know. me, Jack the Ripper was the worst episode so far. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, besides, no, maybe that one with the fighting in season one. I was going to say, TKO is the TKO. one TKO. That, that's the one that so many people uh, bring up. Uh, just, that was a slog. I have a hard time with this season's... Um, whatever late passage to Avalon the where they do a second dive into Arthurian mythos for no reason. So I was, I was flabbergasted when that started. I'm like, really? What are we doing? Are you doing this again? (laughs) You pulled another person out of history, but But, right after such a huge arc ending, too. it felt, it felt really bizarre, but, um, (laughs) That actor's so good. He is really good. What is yeah. his name? He's uh, Basil Exposition. He was in, yeah, um, yeah. what's it called? That sci-fi. Is it? Great. I want to say Robert York, but I don't I think, know. Yeah, Robert York. I, I think that's right. Okay. It's definitely York's. There's a York involved. There's a York in there. Yeah. And it's not like a peppermint patty. It's like this person. Yorkie McHamlet? Yorkie McSci-Fi dude. <laughs> yeah. Um, what is that movie called that I'm trying to think of? God, Logan's Run. Ah, He's yes. the lead in Logan's Run. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that he particular- was so good in that episode, and yeah. and the fact that it ended up not actually being Arthur that helped. It was like a broken man who was having a yeah. a breakdown. Um, I, that episode really won me over by the end of it. I was I was pretty pissed at the beginning, yep. but by the end, I'm like, no, we're out of the woods. This is not another. It's not a real bad Jack one, the Ripper yep. situation like this. This this I can get down with. I, I ended up really liking that one. There's a few episodes in season three that are the that are the episodic ep- the monster of the week episodes or the one offs, right? Um, but by this point in time in Babylon Five, they're still better than the bad ones from season one, and they weave them into the story better. Yeah, and like, then if Franklin be is stuff. off in the in the down below, yeah. like learning about life and love and yeah, stuff yeah, like that. Yeah. It's Hooking still, up with space jazz singers. Exactly. It's still like it's still in the fabric of the show yes. because the fact that he's gone is affecting the war effort. Yeah. And can we talk about that? Because that pissed me the fuck off. What that, is he doing down there? I don't this is know. not the time to go on a walkabout, sir. Yeah, it's so like, weird. Like, open war breaks out and then the chief medical officer is like I can't do my work until I understand myself and he has to leave but see him as a character is interesting because I think he's kind of an asshole oh yeah totally he's selfish he's arrogant yeah Um, absolutely he wants to do good but he also wants to play God you know it's uh, so I, I really I think it's legitimate to be annoyed with his character doing that as a writing choice I wish they could have played up more of like this is selfish and self-indulgent. Uh, yeah, totally. The rest of the the crew allowing him to do this yeah. bothered me. Yeah. And uh him not getting in more trouble than he did bothered right. me. Or I wish they'd shown some real-world consequences like while yeah. you're doing this there are people who are suffering and dying in your med labs. Yeah, you know? absolutely. That or, being said, good episode. Yeah, I mean, yeah. well-written episode that I really enjoyed. Yeah. Like not a bad episode at all. Yeah. But it it did seem like they needed something for Franklin to do, and this was the best idea they had. Yes, it didn't necessarily seem to me like what should have gone there. Agreed. Yeah, it, this this to it's 
it's the sin of like character development for the sake of character development, not yeah, for the yeah. sake of the story. But I, I prefer it to uh, story development for the sake of story development, where yeah. the characters aren't growing. Right. Like, I don't. I don't care for that at all. Yeah. So. I was. I recently started watching rewatching Deep Space Nine. I'm up to like season five. Nice. So by Babylon Five ends after five seasons, but we're we're at season five of Babylon Five, and most of the primary characters have had zero development. Oh, season five of Deep Space Nine. Season you mean? five of Deep yeah, Space yeah. Nine. Sorry. Yeah. So they're yeah. they're they're just more or less the same as they were when the pilot came out. Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, Cisco develops for sure. Yeah. I feel like Kira Kira develops a lot in the last few years. Yeah, there might be more coming towards the end, but that's what I'm saying. It's like, I'm five seasons in, and I have a hard time talking through any kind of... There's things that happen to them, you know? Yeah, there's decisions. That's interesting. I've never really considered that. But there's not, like, any kind of necessarily long-term consequences. like. Bashir and uh, O'Brien don't really feel like they have character arcs necessarily. Yeah, like O'Brien, like you get to see his marriage, like stuff happens and he gets in a fight with Keiko. And he's the best the whole time. Yeah, yeah. But, it's but not... I guess like Bashir gets more and more like hardened and jaded over time. Yeah, but he's, it's still, I mean, like I said, I'm five in and he's yeah. still now mostly just like, I'm arrogant Julian Bashir. Yeah. So, but that's where Babylon 5 is vastly different. Where yeah, you, that's really interesting. You have more things happening with the characters. Yeah. Yeah, and I, they didn't have any throwaway characters this year. The first time that that's happened. Right. Where there was no one in the opening credits that I wasn't invested in. Yeah. Uh, I would have liked to see more of Zack. But yeah. but I am invested in Zach, and that's another- and I was thrilled that he got promoted to like yeah. full season regular. Yeah, and that was a great arc for him as well, where mm-hmm. Zach winds up helping overthrow the the coup against Babylon Five. You know, yeah, he's an integral part into that. Yeah, and I like Zach because he's Zach is a character who's intentionally not portrayed as a smart man. Mm. Like I feel like when Zach says, "I don't know who to listen to," <laughs> that's just he's, honest. He's, he's legitimately like, "I don't know what's going on." Like, yeah, there's a coup happening and there's a takeover, but they're also that's the way the military works. I don't know what to do. <laughs> yeah, it seems like he didn't choose to follow Sinclair because that's what he politically believed. Yeah, he chose to follow Sinclair because it felt right to him because he trusts Sinclair. Yeah, and yeah. he's letting Sinclair make those decisions for him. Yeah. But and I not, like that a yeah, lot. I do too. I think it's great. It's Versus like, a, like Garibaldi, like a, a puppy like, dog in a way that I really like. Yes, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And Garibaldi was just like, "No, this is wrong." Right. And he's very passionate I am about. So it. sick of Michael Garibaldi. I, I just, he's, <laughs> I am liking that character less all the time. Yeah, yeah. He, uh, he's not one. He's not one that I've ever been particularly warm to. I know that his arcs um, happen uh, next season. Oh, good. I, I need, I need. He, just, I don't know that he just seems like a a, a shell of yeah. a man, and I'm yeah. just like so over it. Yeah, uh, and I've never really liked him. He also he he feels like a Trump supporter. You know, I, I mean, yeah, I, I know that he's fighting against these you know ostensibly Nazi elements in the Babylon <laughs> Five world of the Night Watch, but, but I do get the feeling that he would support Donald I think Trump. So yeah, 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 totally. He's just kind of a he's kind of a dick. He's not funny, but he thinks he's funny. He, they, they they have him hit on women in very weird ways. He thinks that he knows what's best for the world, no Absolutely. matter what anyone else thinks. Yeah, and that's yeah. I think that's the most insufferable thing about him to me. Yeah, is that uh, Sinclair has this feeling about 
or I mean, sorry, Sheridan has this feeling about what's best. Yeah. But it's his relationship with Delenn that helps him solidify those feelings. Yes. Yeah. And I think that's such a powerful pairing and such a, a wonderful representation of leadership. Yeah. And I fucking loved it in season yeah. three. Yeah. Especially how they start. They also develop a romantic relationship. Yeah. And it's so good. Yeah. It's like they're just this powerhouse couple super couple a super couple fucking like <laughs> ruling the galaxy yeah. but but not i mean ruling is like the completely wrong word saving the galaxy right this super couple who like wants to make sure the galaxy is not taken over by evil rulers and, and it's fucking great thanks to that weird episode with jack the ripper there yeah they, we know that they're doing it for uh, more ideologically pure reasons totally not for i just yeah. want to be a messiah exactly yeah they're doing it like they they are the people who have risen up at this point yeah. to take care of this problem. Yeah. Uh, and there are wiser races than ours who are aware of these things. Yes. And, and point those two characters out as those two people. Well, that's, that's the other interesting thing is that we start to see the lines being drawn between the, the war, the light and the darkness, or order and chaos, where it's the yeah. Vorlons versus the shadows. Yeah. Where Delenn and uh, Sheridan have been effectively manipulated to be together also hmm. by the more, by the Vorlons, I think. Well, That's a good point. Yeah, I hadn't thought about that. There's a degree of, I mean, not necessarily their relationship, but they have had a heavy hand in all of the things that have happened, you know? Totally. Yeah, I mean, very heavy hand in some situations, you yeah. know, like literally testing Delenn with Jack the Ripper. God, I wish they'd done that better. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, I, I really. Again, it's unsubtle. That's unsubtle in Babylon. Yeah. We need to test this character. Let's literally have it be tested. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, I will say that that the writer is correct. Like JMS is correct that you do need to test the character and show the audience that as far as this universe is concerned, she is pure. You yes. Know? Yeah. Like yeah. she is pure of spirit and pure of intention. Yeah. Uh, because that needed to be pointed out. Yeah. For what came next. Yeah, absolutely. And, and it did make what came next work better. Yeah. Uh, so it's a very important moment and I appreciated it for how it fit into the show later. I just wish that the on the ground version of it was was better, you know. It's this so I mean other people have talked about it too that I doubt it would ever happen, but a Babylon 5 reboot or being redone would be a very fascinating thing to see. I would just be happy with somebody doing this kind of meticulously plotted yeah. uh, uh, a multi-season sci-fi show. If not just yeah. this, if just not boiling away the the extraneous nonsense in Babylon Five, I can't think of any way to to reboot Babylon Five in a be, way that seems worthwhile. Yeah, I, because like, what are you going to do, Babylon Six? Like, you can't you right. can't make another one. Right. That you could make something else in this universe. Right. Maybe like a starship in that universe. Yeah. Like Babylon space so, i don't know so babylon there, alexa i it, don't know like it's, some it's a, it's, spaceship it, it's called crusade <laughs> crusade there's oh yeah the 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 spin-off movie. show no there's a show there's like oh there's a show i thought it was like a, no, a movie there's like 12 episodes of crusade that was oh, the spin-off shit. season spin-off show after babylon 5 oh that, that is basically following a, a ship of rangers who are out in the oh, interesting dealing with the aftermath of the end of the babylon 5 show that didn't go anywhere and wasn't all that good yeah you know yeah it seems to me like the like the purpose for this story uh and the reason to be on babylon 5 and the reason to tell this story are all so interlinked with this vision that jms had about what this was going to be yeah and i it's like 
unfolding right now for me yeah and season three was like turning this huge page and it's so cool yeah and i don't see how you do that again with the same story right i just right. don't see how you can do it i mean it, it's tell a different story maybe in that universe maybe but, but at that point in time why not just start over somewhere else entirely new mm-hmm. because i feel like a strong argument can be made that babylon 5 is the most interesting story to tell in this kind of universe anything else yeah. anything else that was takes place in this universe it would be hard to hold it up against well what about the ultimate war between like light Lord and of the darkness rings. yeah it's like lord of the rings for me the hobbit can't be as interesting the yeah. three hobbit movies can't be as interesting as like the right. three lord of the rings movies because like the the ultimate good and evil are battling it out yes everything else seems yeah like uh like foreplay or ancillary like, or <laughs> like uh, like foreplay what's the uh uh like the slow death of the universe after that i guess I oh know. yeah what's yeah. the word for that entropy, <laughs> entropy yeah, yeah, yeah it's yeah. like the slow entropy yeah. of time uh after uh, and i don't want to see a babylon 5 show set during yeah. entropy you yeah know? absolutely i, I, I would, don't need that i would want to see a reboot perhaps without JMS necessarily having full creative control <laughs> because it's clear that he makes bad choices Ugh. and then or just maybe him working with someone else plotting some other thing did you know that he co-wrote uh sense eight yeah, yeah yeah have you seen that uh, i started to watch it it's on my list of things to watch i haven't seen that yet yeah. but this made me so interested in sense eight yeah because i was like doing some reading about the wachowskis for the trial of matrix right i had no idea that that had happened and now i really want to see that show yeah i'm like super curious Yeah, i know people loved it and i know it got canceled after two seasons and yeah knowing knowing that it's the the, the wachowskis and jms means that there's gonna be, i'm gonna love it and i'm also gonna be like yeah that's complete garbage but you know <laughs> Yeah, probably. What are you going to do? <laughs> yeah, man. Rewatching the Matrix movies was wild. Yeah, I love Jupiter Ascending. I still haven't seen that. It's, I need to watch that. Uh, I think it's I think it's I think it's wonderful, but it, I also fully understand that people say it's a just a hot mess of a movie. <laughs> Zathras! Zathras no. Zathras working. Zathras out. <sighs> This show totally pulled a Farscape in season three. What do you mean? Where it changed its opening theme song and its opening credits in uh, a way that I that I vastly uh, do not prefer dun, dun, to the original. Dun, 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 dun. It's like so jarring. Yeah. <laughs> Ugh, I don't like it at all. Yeah. I've actually, I mean, when that happened, my first thought was, damn, am I going to put that on the podcast? It's like a, <laughs> not a fun thing to listen to. It's an assault. Yeah. Whereas like the first season, like, dun, dun, yeah. dun. Like the, and you can tell the exactly music was so why good. they're doing it. Yeah, it's, it's totally. The, it's the idea of like, this is the year the shadow war came. Yeah. You know? I love Ivanova doing the, yeah, me too. The opening. That yeah. was such a cool choice. Yeah. I didn't see that coming and I really, really appreciated it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I don't mind the opening except for the new music. I mean, all the visuals are pretty good, yep. except like, it looks like they put the actors on a lazy Susan yeah. and then just like twisted them towards the camera Yeah, when it's their turn to be seen. Yeah. It, it, that was weird. I started skipping it because I just kept thinking to myself, like, what are they thinking about? Like, <laughs> yeah, totally. be Marcus for a second. <laughs> just what are uh, you doing? Give us another take. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, I want a little more Lazy Susan on this. Yeah. Uh, give us another take. <laughs> Although, in another way, that those opening sequences get you trained up for one interesting aspect of Babylon 5 that I think, because now I've watched it 
several times. Uh, one of my favorite things is when a character, usually like an alien or someone who's like hamming it up, is delivering like a dump of information, which is Babylon 5 is kind of bad at like here's somebody who's got to drop a bunch of shit all of a sudden on the scene. Yeah. And then watching like Sheridan just like nod and smile and shrug <laughs> while all of this other stuff is happening. Yeah. It's it's I shouldn't have to see that, but it's the way that they edit them. Yeah. And the totally. way that some scenes last just an extra two seconds too long. And so now you have to have characters who are just kind of like smiling about whatever weird thing someone else just said. Yeah. It's very fascinating. You said something like it was the best high school production you've ever oh, seen or absolutely. something. Yes. I totally feel that. Still. It's like I, even during this season, I was like, Oh, I love this so much. Or student production or yeah, something. It, yeah. It feels like an amateur. It's, it's what I feel like if you gave our friends, right. Not a lot of money. (laughs) Yeah. $20,000. More money than they've ever seen. Yeah. But not enough. Yeah. To do something great. And then you told them that it couldn't have a hint of irony in it. It had to be earnest the whole way through. Yeah. You couldn't laugh about the lack of budget or effects. You couldn't address that. You had to play it up as though this was a million dollar. Totally. And that I'm sure that that comes from JMS because he had this real story that he wants to tell. Yeah. And you have to believe the world to believe the story. Yeah. So he just has to present a world to you and the world can't laugh at itself like the way Stargate does. Yes. Like Stargate's trying to tell stories about like heart and heroism and Babylon 5 is trying to make you question the nature of the universe yes. and and the nature of good and evil and, and the, yeah those yeah, are yeah. big things that you you have to present yeah in, in kind of an earnest way if if you want them to be approachable from from the character's perspectives right and i think that that's why a lot of these weird decisions are made is because it's a story element yeah but but i don't know if the design team had the tools or just the production team had the tools to pull them off in the way that they needed to be in the way that they were intended. Yep. Yep. I agree. Yeah. I agree. It's why I keep thinking about the reboot where like, Oh, but what right. if, what if Babylon but five, if but did? with like yeah. good sets and good. I, I would rather see, I would rather see a, another star Trek on a space station. Yeah. So I'd rather see them reboot deep space nine yeah, yeah. because I, I think, and then do this type of storytelling. Sure. I would, I would rather see like JMS and someone else make a new Star Trek. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's one of the things that I feel that uh, Deep Space Nine dropped the ball on, where they did a little bit. It's more um, serialized than the other Star Treks that had come before, in the yeah. sense that there are some, there's, a, there's a war. Yeah, but it's still when you watch them, you're like, they yeah, the war's happening, but it doesn't feel like time is progressing or anything's going on. It's just yeah. like every once in a while you're reminded, oh yeah, that's right. That's where they're at with the war. I hear you. Yeah. I For Star Trek, it's really, you know, uh, God, what's that word that you just said? Episodic? Episod- oh, uh, it's serialized. Serialized, thank it's you. It's far more serialized yeah. than For Star, Star Trek, Trek, it's like very serialized. Right. But- and, and as a kid, the first time I saw it, or like a teenager, the first time I watched the whole show, uh, that aspect of it was like candy to me yeah. because I'd always wanted that from Star Trek going back and watching it again as an adult like the last time that I saw the show which was when I moved to Seattle about yeah. six six and a half years ago maybe seven years ago at this point um, I was I was struck by how many episodes were not serialized right exactly it surprised me they just dip into it a little bit here yeah, and there totally. or, or it's like flavor in the background yeah, by but season- I actually really like that. I think like for Star Trek, that's oh, yeah. a really great way to go. Yes. Yeah. It, it's 
um, we were saying that seeing instead of a, a redone Babylon Five to see a Star Trek, a redone Star Trek yes, on a space with that station. type of plotting, yes. yeah, that type of serialization, uh, because the the plotting and the serialization of Babylon Five so far has been some of the best I've ever experienced yeah. for a serialized show. Absolutely. And I, for serialized shows, I'm thinking about uh, Lost, obviously. Yeah, that's a big one. Uh, Battlestar Galactica. Yep. I mean, what what else is doing stuff like that? In genre fiction? Yeah. Um, Expanse, but that's based on... Yeah, The Expanse. Oh, I love it. Oh, I love it in The Expanse. Yeah, I haven't watched season two. Just watched season one. Yeah, like, to me, Battlestar Galactica... I'm sorry. To me, having, like, Babylon 5 rebooted... Uh, like the expanse is almost there that, you, go. you know, right. but that's also based on novels. It's like yeah. game of Thrones where, yeah. yeah, this is based on a series of novels. So of course, yeah. And that was, uh, I think Babylon five deserves all the credit of the world. He had always talked about it. He pictured it as a novel on TV. Yeah. Except he just didn't have a source material to draw from. So he plotted out to, or outlined to some degree a five year arc and then managed to get a, a good amount, 85% of that vision, you know, on yeah. the air, which is really impressive. Totally. And I think what draws me to serialized shows is the idea of vision that yeah. like someone had a vision and yeah. I get to watch it unfold because yes. that's where I think a lot of like really powerful art comes from is when yes. people have like visions, you know, that, like right. something comes to them. But a serialized show without vision is a soap opera and that makes right. me mad. Now right. you just wasted Absolutely. my time. Absolutely. And because it's a lie. Mm-hmm. And I feel like Lost was a lie mm-hmm. uh, where they're, they're serialized for the sake of it without yeah. having a reason. Yep. And, and they pretended to have a reason, and they get you excited about yep. finding out what that reason is. And they lie. But there's no reason. They lie. And that's really aggravating. Yeah. And I think that uh, like Star Trek and Deep Space Nine in particular like had some vision and had like a reason to yeah. exist yep. and uh, had that serialized element while also being a really good episodic show. Right. And I think that's kind of a balancing act that I've never... That, that's like really hard to strike, and I think they did a great job with that. Yeah. Uh, but I do think that more serialized if i if i were to choose what to get obsessed with next it would be more on the serialized side than yeah. on the episodic side yep. and and because of that like babylon 5 is is hitting the sweet spot for that yes. for me right now it's really it's really and i'm sure we've i'm sure i've mentioned this in the past episodes but it's really interesting in the history of tv of it being this uh in the proto stage and itself being a transition between mm episodic shows and serialized shows right. where there wasn't much happening at that time that was serialized and certainly not in genre fiction yeah. where everything else leaned towards episodic. And that was one of its, one of the problems that Babylon five had is that you couldn't just like jump into it where I remember watching deep space nine. And if I missed a few, it didn't matter. Right. I would just start watching it. But if you jumped into Babylon five, some like random episode in season three, even if you liked it, it might be confusing or yeah. not indicative of what else is going on. It's so interesting. We went from this like historical television period of only episodic where right. serialized was just not how it's done yeah to having a lot of serialized type shows and the streaming services really make that so much more oh, viable totally totally and also the internet i mean lost becoming a pop culture phenomenon yeah like it didn't it didn't matter that their ratings dropped off every year yeah because they had so many people watching it, yep, yep they had yep, so yep. many people invested in the story oh yeah i was watching it as it came out i yeah. was going to lost viewing parties we were having some ourselves yeah so i was uh in 
boy, it's like looking back at a bad relationship where you're like, ah, oh, there were red flags and I should have known. Yeah. But I still opened up my heart to them and they crushed it. <laughs> yeah, totally. But I'm so like Star Trek Discovery is highly serialized. Yeah. In a way that uh, that I'm very interested in. Yeah. But I feel like as an episodic show, it's kind of shit in the bed. Uh, like, as far as like an episode to episode. Yeah. Just coming in and watching the show. Yeah. They've already had like at least half of what's come out be so uneven and weird for me See, I'm and really, kind of unenjoyable as an episodic piece of TV it grew and then half on me. of them that, half of them that were like so good yeah. and so interesting yeah interesting uh, yeah so I'm kind of I don't know I'm like struggling with that one it grew on bit. me I wasn't I like the the movie the pilot I the, loved that yeah. and then I didn't like the first episode yeah and then after two or three I was like alright I'm digging this and now by the at the end I was fully I'm fully in yeah, I didn't like like three or four after the the first two hour. Yeah, um, like the first two. The, I think like the first three episodes on Discovery, I just like nothing about the story was grabbing me or making me care about anyone or interested. Yeah, uh, and then I really liked the one where um, Sarek was there and like you get a little oh, bit of the history yeah. with Michael and Sarek. I, I I really liked Michael. I was really grabbed by her in the first episode. Yeah. And then that episode I really loved. So if there's an episode that like focuses on her growth, yeah. I'm really into it because like as a Star Trek character, I think they just knocked it out of the park with that character. Yeah. But everyone else it just seems like they're doing whatever needs to be done that week for the plot. Right. And it's not that interesting to me. I'm I'm getting more like there was another episode where you got more backstory on Lorca where he yeah. slept with that admiral and right. I really like her character and yeah. I re- I'm I'm getting interested in his character now because because the show is addressing that he's a terrible captain and that he's like maybe a little, uh, maybe lost it a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. And maybe shouldn't be in control. Yeah. Because that's how I'd been feeling. And then for the show to address that. Right. And it's talk not, about it. Right. That's great. I'm into that. Yeah. And if that's where the show is going, like doing shitty things that they will then explain later, I'm super into it. That's what I'm hoping happens in the next but, half of the season. Yeah. Do you know? So potential spoilers for Star Trek Discovery. But have you heard about the theory about Ash Tyler? Who's Ash Tyler? Uh, he's the guy that they found in in prison, uh, who became the security chief. Oh, I haven't I haven't read any. The I, one thing I read, uh, maybe a spoiler, or it was that they might do mirror universe in the second season. Yeah, and that there was one crazy fan theory that was Lorca actually from the mirror universe. I did see that too. And then, yeah. And I was like, probably not. I mean, but it'll be interesting to do the, so that's the only thing I've heard. Yeah. So I didn't, I haven't heard anything of a theory about this guy. Yeah. I, yeah. Um, I've also seen theories that were in the mirror universe already, which doesn't make sense because right. the Federation doesn't exist in the mirror universe. And it's certainly not as an ostensibly good force. Right. You totally, know, like they, they he, were the, Lorca's the bad guy in the good force. Right, they would they would be and they would be called the Terran Empire. They would yeah, be called Star exactly. That's the that's that's yeah. exactly right. So there's a lot of problems there. Yeah. But anyway, um, do you want to hear a fan theory that there's a lot of evidence behind that might spoil a big thing? I don't know if I should tell you. Uh, I, I let's talk about Battle on Five instead. Okay, cool. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> that's a good idea. Um, <laughs> fuck, where were we with Babylon Five? That they were, we started talking about that this was the the uh, the war, and that became like um, a, yeah. a, a big overarching thing. Oh yeah, season. of course. Like the war, the war broke out. I mean, there's now open warfare, and, and the the war developed a lot this season with the whole idea that the uh, like those ships are run by telepaths. Yes, that was really interesting to me. Yeah. I really dug that, and the, like everything they did with that storyline, I actually really enjoyed. I really love it. Um, this time. 
there's some flaws, I think, in the way it's executed, but I really like it as a mechanic. I really like how it works in the story. It it helps drive a lot of the plot. I think yeah. it does interesting things with the Narn as yeah. far as like, because from the very first season, Jakar had been talking about wanting to get telepaths for Narns because they haven't had any for a thousand years. Yeah. And then now we know why is because, you know, the shadows had murdered all of the, yeah. the Narn telepaths. Yeah. My problem is how come the Minbars didn't remember like oh yeah we use telepaths to fight the shadows yeah it feels like it feels like you know the narns managed to get mind walker and shadow things and drawn in their religious books that's and they were they were a very they're portrayed as being a very low-tech agrarian species a thousand years ago right where minbar clearly was like they had spaceships right so that's a really good point how did they lose this information over a thousand years and the vorlons too right Right. Why didn't the Vorlons go, by the way, it's actually psychics. Yeah, that's telepaths. Really good point. So, Although the Vorlons seem to not be able, like, they be help willing not... to, willing or able to, to give that much information. Yeah, that's true. I, I think the Vorlon thing could always be anything with Vorlons could be explained away as like, I don't know, they just didn't do it because yeah. they've got their like, own game. Maybe they don't understand that we don't know because they're at such a different level than we are. Yeah. And, you, I, know? you know, now that I'm saying it out loud, I'm realizing if you wanted to, you could explain it by saying, oh, they actually didn't use telepaths against the shadows last time maybe that they the vorlons fought side by side and so the vorlons mm. were there to help them out through this thing i don't know yeah that's interesting but that stood out for me this time is like wait a minute yeah i hadn't thought about that because it was what it was the reason it bothered me is when it's garibaldi who i already don't like storms into a war meeting and is like look what i found yeah in this <laughs> other culture's book. Yep. religious book that has been studied by their scholars for a thousand years yeah and i'm just some you know low rent bruce willis schmo <laughs> and i've had this book for a week but i Translating word for word through yeah. an online dictionary. <laughs> yeah, that didn't make any sense. I did like the idea that Jakar wanted uh, Garibaldi to read the book. Yeah, I thought that was such a cool idea. It would be even better if he's like, no one's going to. I need a human to present what I know to be factual information to th- other humans. They're right. never going to listen to me. Why couldn't Jakar have found that? That would have made so much more sense. Well, what if it is Jakar's like, no one's going to listen to me. I'll just give it to Garibaldi. If Garibaldi says it. Yeah, he doesn't Garibaldi- look like a reader, though, let alone a translator. <laughs> He's the only person who can get to read his book. Yeah, I was surprised, actually, when Garibaldi was reading it. Yeah. I, I was. It didn't make sense with his character. Yeah, I me. agree. It does. It, it Like, Delenn, yes. Yeah. Even... Yeah. Um, uh, Franklin, maybe. Yeah, Franklin. Yeah, Sheridan. I don't think would have the. No, time. he doesn't have the time. Yeah, no. Ivanova. I don't think she'd have the patience. Yeah, it doesn't. That's another one that doesn't. I don't think Garibaldi has the patience either. It's just what's weird. It's yeah, a, it's a it's a it's an outlier for his character. Yeah, uh, yeah. So I don't know. Anyway, yeah. I I really liked. I really liked the White Star. I, it yes. does for this show what the Defiant did for Deep Space yeah, Nine. Here you have a badass ship, so now you can go other places whenever you want, and yeah, you can actually literally teleport to wherever you want. Yeah, I mean they don't need a jump gate; they can create their own. Yeah, uh, I I thought that was super cool having like an ace in the hole, like one thing that's powerful enough. Because yeah. I mean, we start the season with like overwhelming odds against us. Yes, you know. Uh, and oh my God, we haven't even talked about the <laughs> so, biggest thing of the season yet. Uh, but once you know, once we have this revolution on Earth and Babylon Five breaks away from Earth, right? It's like all bets are off, you know. Right. Uh, that was 
that was so goddamn good. I yes, like the the couple of episodes where they broke away from Earth were so exciting, and it's a good build up to it. And that's another one where you can see it. You go back to season one, and you'll hear them talking about President Santiago and Vice right. President Clark on the news. This right. is all it's all there leading up to this. Yeah, yeah, it's really cool. And knowing you know from the end of season one that something weird had happened around the president's right. death and like what's going on, and then it just turns out that I mean to me it was like. It was like the Trump organization took yeah, over yeah. on Earth, and now they have fake news and like yeah, all this ISN shit. Yeah, ISN. It, it's totally just like fake news, and then yeah. you, like they got raided, and people were saying what was really happening. But then the next people get on and say, "Oh, that was like a prank or something." I don't right. remember what they said, but they, they said explained that it was it that, away. Yeah, that that uh, uh, seditious forces yeah. had tried to take over the station to make a fake broadcast. Yeah, and right? so now yeah. that they've restored order, right? Yeah, it's it's, it's brilliant i mean it's, it's really good and it, it's very accurate to what we're experiencing now where yes, and like, that's oh. <laughs> like no matter what trump says you know sarah huckabee sanders gets up there the next day and spins it into a way that is somehow okay yeah. for some people yes and they believe it because they they want to because they because it's like the person that they're following and they're on that side and right. they, for whatever reason and they want to believe that they're on the side of good so they want to believe these good things when they are like very obviously lies yep yep Propaganda. It's yeah, just straight propaganda, up propaganda. Absolutely. Yeah. It's what I like about Babylon Five so much is that effectively humans on Earth, the 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 equivalent of the Federation government itself is just a, another villain in the story. Yeah. And it's not because totally. it's not because like, oh, some like weird shapeshifters showed up and did something. It's and you could argue like, oh, well, there's the shadow influence, but that doesn't come in until later. Right. Clearly, Clark had Santiago killed well before the shadows are any kind of part of this story. It's just these people are just not good people. You, my, know? you know, my theory was that maybe the shadows have been doing on Earth what they've been doing through Morden to the Centauri. Uh, for years, oh, that maybe they've been working for years. I actually thought that they were doing that all over the galaxy for years, uh, yeah. uh, trying to like worm their way into the politics of like local politics to make a bunch right. of little wars break out. Yeah, uh, so that by the time they want to come in, like the whole galaxy's at war anyway. Yeah, and like the Narn Centauri conflict was obviously engineered by them, and I, I assumed that what was happening with Earth was also engineered by them in that uh, way. Interesting. But, but the only way that they're doing that is because they're finding people in positions of authority who are willing to right. to, to completely destroy whoever it takes to yeah. get power. Yeah. So, I mean, all it would take would be some people saying no to that. Right, And right. they won't because they want the power, and th- that's why it's a good plan. Right. It's the idea of, like, traveling back in time and giving somebody a gun and saying, like, here's a magic device. You can point it at people and it'll kill them. Yeah. Like, you don't have to use that, but if you're an asshole... You yeah totally like yeah if you if you're given power and you <laughs> I mean most people I feel like given too many resources will do bad things yeah I think that it takes uh, training and fortitude to learn right. how to uh, deal with power and responsibility and wealth in a way that is positive for other people besides yourself yeah because I think the natural instinct of a lot of people is just to do what's best for them what and and oh this what I love is that. In the season, we now hear justification for what the shadows are doing, though. And that's something that I think really helps set Babylon 5 uh, uh, 
to to a level of it like not just being it transcends genre fiction at that point in time yeah where it's not just like oh it's a generic good versus evil it's here are the shadows they're bad what do they do oh they kill other races why because eh, they're evil like it does it's not yeah. a it's not a circular logic they're saying this is necessary that you know when you races f- fight against each other out here in space battles uh, the stronger ones survive, so this winds up creating a stronger, you know, group of people in the universe. Yeah, they look totally. at themselves as sort of almost like gardeners. You know, it's like making the universe exercise. Yeah, you got to like break it down a little bit to make it stronger. Yeah, um, yeah, which is which is a really interesting argument yep. presented like right at the end of the season. Right. And I really loved that. Yeah. I really, 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 really loved that. And that the Vorlons, they're trying to make everybody work together, yeah. which then stymies growth is the argument from the shadows. And I think what I like about the Vorlons is that, I mean, my, my take on that situation is that, uh, that may be true, but why is it your right to choose? Sure, you know, yeah. That that if if that is true, then we just have to leave people to their own devices to get there on their own because I'm a prime directive kid. Yeah. Uh, so whenever somebody tries to assert influence over someone else for that other person's best interests, yeah. how do you know? Like, how can yeah. you know what their best interests are and who are you to decide? And I think that that's an, an impossible t- determination. Yeah. So you can't. And yeah. that's where the Vorlons seem to be coming from. Right. But the Vorlons also clearly manipulate races. Yeah. They, you know, the very fact that, like, they, like, it's a very well made argument, the Shadows say. Vorlons look the way they want you to see them. Right. The shadows look the way they look. The Vorlons manipulate you into seeing something they want you to see. And on top of that, they've been doing that for a very long time. Right. And in fact, you know, maybe even Earth religions are based off of Vorlons. The, the two, I, part of the selling point for Valen, going back in time, is that there are two Vorlons, effectively the Minbar angels, yeah. are there with him. That's got to help sell that story. Oh my god, you know? that's right. Yeah, that image at the end. Yeah. Yeah, totally. So the Vorlons, it's like, okay, the Vorlons ostensibly wow, are the good guys, good point. but they're also clearly kind of dicks too. Like, what if two Vorlons showed up next to Jesus? Yeah. You know, that Jesus then becomes what he is now. Right, well, they would. I mean, it would be two flying angels, right? Yeah, That would totally. be what humans would see. Yeah, and I mean... Flying angels, flying what I love about light. this, What I love about this story is that it's saying like, well, so maybe that's actually what happened, you know? Right, like, right. maybe there were just some flying angels, and obviously, like, I'm not a religious person, and I don't believe that happened. Right. Uh, but what if angels were but aliens? as a sci-fi story it's so cool yeah like so smart yeah and also i mean really tells you this cool message of like why are you worshiping people you know right, right. like you don't know who people are right you don't know what happened so if you know someone and you can judge their character like if you're uh um what's his name god damn it i'm forgetting shit now i said his we were talking about him earlier he's the puppy dog Oh, Garibaldi? No, uh, no. Uh, who's the puppy dog? Shit. Why did I lose it? I lost it too. God damn it. <laughs> it's going to drive me crazy. <laughs> oh. Zach. Oh, yes, Zach. Zach Allen. There yeah. it is. Um, <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, the, you have Zach making his decisions based off of knowing Sheridan. Right. And then you have, uh, you know, Sinclair going back and being an angel. And then you have all these other people who just worship him 
unknowing who he actually was. Right, years into the future. Yeah, th- a thousand years later. Yeah. Uh, or no, hun- how many years a later? Was it a thousand yep. that he went back? Yeah. So, and he went back to help them defeat the shadows in the past, the, right? Right, the, the previous... That was the last time the shadows have been there. Right. Because that's when, because Jakar will talk about that like a thousand years ago. Right, right, right. Yeah. Uh, and like part of worshiping Valen is the fact that he helped them defeat the shadows. Right, uh, right, right. Because yeah. they, they were already in a war with the shadows. They were losing the war. Right. And then he, they, the, ostensibly here, they say that uh, they had a space station that got blown up by the shadows. And then Valen pops in with like a new space station ready right. to go. Right, right, right. Yeah. This time also there was, I started thinking about, I'm like, yeah, but that space station says in English, Babylon four all over the place. Yeah. I'm not saying they're going to learn English, but wouldn't those symbols somehow carry forward through their time and become important? There's mm, that's interesting. There's little this time now. There's little bits where I, it starts to, and I still love it. And I'm not in any way picking it apart. It's yeah. just the issues of like when you really start to think of the realities involved. Certain aspects of it start to get a little. <laughs> yeah, that's like that Battlestar Galactica problem where, like we talked about earlier. Yeah. yeah. Like, is this Adam and Eve? How does that make sense? Right. You know, don't look too close. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. But. Yeah, when you I don't know. I mean, I feel like I did not think of those things at the time. Me neither. And it's I only the second watch. I do see them now that you're saying them, but I also don't think that they detract from the story. Agreed. Because it's so tight. And Straczynski, Straczynski, I think, paints in broad strokes like this, and he often I don't think he often thinks about some of these little details. There's yeah. one there's one line that really stood out for me this season where they're talking about one of the shadow vessels that they found on like Mars or Ganymede, whichever one. And it's the woman that has been brought in and is telling the story of working for the planetary exploration uh, exploration and how they found the ship. And then she says one of the workers touched it with his bare hand and died instantly. <laughs> but then whenever they show it, it's like, oh, it's out in like the it's not inside of anything. It's on the Martian surface. Everyone's wearing spacesuits yeah. and, and digging around it. Would somebody take off his glove like that? <laughs> that's never going to happen. Yeah. But it's just it doesn't matter. It's like he wanted to make it be like a super dangerous deadly. You touch it, you die. Right. But he doesn't totally. think about the opportunity where that could actually happen. Yeah, yeah, it's like he did so much in the broad strokes, but there's like little details, little details that yeah. maybe he just didn't see. Right, which is but, fine. But at the same time, maybe that's how the Minbari forgot all these things yeah. <laughs> over time. Yeah. Because they're like little details that are very important, but if it's not what you're focused on, maybe they get lost. Sure, it doesn't matter, right? Or you won, you figure we're good. We don't need to worry about, we don't need to write down how to fight these monsters. We killed them. Yeah. So I, I want to talk a little bit about Sinclair leaving the show and then coming back for this very important moment. Right. That was so like integral to the entire story. Yes. Because that really re re shaped that whole thing for me. Yes. Um, like it, it just, it makes it so different to imagine like what the show would have been otherwise, because I feel like by the time you get to that point, yeah, the show would have been pretty close to that anyway. Like you would have had Sheridan, you know, right. you you would have had to have had this new captain anyway. Yeah. Or maybe Sheridan doesn't come in until after that in the original version or something like so that. So I haven't heard. I, I've always been curious. What would the original story have been if uh, Sinclair had stayed? Yeah. My assumption has been that Sheridan would have come in for uh, like EarthGov would have sent him there 
as a like, oh, we need to have this be, you know, under this guy's command because he's a military soldier that we trust. And then now Sheridan would start down the the path of Minbar. Like he goes to the you planet. Sin- Sinclair. Sinclair. Sinclair yeah. would start down the path that he's done here of being an ambassador. Like I feel on like, the station. But right. But yeah. we would have just seen. I think we would have seen more of Sinclair uh, during uh, an overlap between the two of them. Yeah. Because, you know, it really worked for me to have Sinclair gone for so long. Yeah. Because him being on the planet and studying with the Minbari made it a lot easier for me to to make that leap of faith that he could become Valen and yes. pull it off. The, okay, now, here's another thought I've had, is that in the redone or an idealized version of Babylon 5, you cut out all of the stories that were episodic this season and or, yeah. or the B-plots that, were, that had, like... Garibaldi fighting with the post office. You don't need that. Cut that out. All of all of those garbage storylines, and you replace it with uh, flashes to Sinclair on Minbar training Rangers, where mm. where you can, and that's the way modern I think stories happen. You have yeah. multiple ongoing threads where he still leaves the station, but you get to follow him. Yeah. So then, yeah. It, and then every once in a while, there'd be some overlap when yeah. like Marcus has to go back to Minbar or Sinclair has to show up on the station. Yeah. And then there'd be more ways to. I think draw out the like him becoming Valen thing during this period of time. Yeah. So I, I would like to think that had he not needed to leave the show for medical reasons, that they could have done something along those lines. Totally. Yeah. And I, I had been questioning if Marcus was supposed to be a replacement for Sinclair on the station. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Uh, like if, because Sinclair was kind of transforming into a ranger, basically. Right. But then we get a ranger back on the show. Yeah. It made me wonder, like, would there have been this other captain that came in as Sinclair was becoming a ranger yeah. on Babylon 5? And maybe that's why Marcus is here. Yeah. Um, there's, I know there's a lot of people that talk about it because they have the same initials. Uh, that's why I keep confusing their names. Yeah, yeah. Is uh, Sinclair and Sheridan. Right. Uh, John and uh, uh, what's Sinclair's first name? Jeff. Uh, Jeff. Yeah. Jeff Sinclair. Yeah. So they're both JS. Like, yeah. like. J. Michael Straczynski's initials. Yeah. Uh, Sinclair has a wife, or no, a girlfriend who is working for planetary exploration forces. Mm-hmm. So she was in a position to potentially fulfill the Anna Sheridan right. uh, role right, of right, right. this. So who knows? I mean, it's, it's, it's an interesting question. Yeah, that's something that I'd really like to learn more about because Sheridan was Valen the whole time. Like, there's no... Yeah. Or, I'm sorry, Sinclair. Damn it, I'm doing You're it too. Doing Sinclair right. was with Valen the whole time, no matter what. No and matter it, what. It feels like that reveal would have happened in season three, yeah. no matter what. No matter what, yeah. Yeah, I can't imagine... I can't imagine how that could have been different right. because of the way that things were planted and paid off. And the, right, the Babylon squared in the first season. There's yeah. the, the first time they do the two-part time travel episode. Right. All of that is set up. That that was pretty astonishing to me. Like the I, What way, other the, show has done that? The seamless way that they put those things together. Lost tried to do stuff like that to, yeah. to the point where it was like so obvious. Like, come on. Like Jack Shepard has chest hair or doesn't have chest hair, you know, like obviously, or like his hair is like completely different. Like his hairstyle is completely different. And you're telling me that this took place next to an episode for three years ago where he's noticeably uh, yeah. like not as thin as he is now. And his hair is totally different. Like it's just really hard to, to buy. Yeah. But this was just so seamless. And they brought back those guest stars that had yeah. shot stuff and they walked from, 
they walked from shots in the new episode to shots from the old episode. Yeah. And you just, I mean, you can't, 90% of the time you couldn't tell. Yeah, it was really well done. There was a couple things where you could see some slight like differences in how people looked. Yeah, or the film quality changed a bit. Yeah, you know? I think Garibaldi's hair was something that looked <laughs> different to me. More bald there. Yeah. Uh, but, the, and yes, the film quality changed just slightly. Yeah. But for the most part, it was like, astonishingly well done like zathras and all that yeah, stuff it was yeah. really cool i liked it it's in it's ambitious it's it's yeah. bold it's ambitious and again I, I keep saying it it's showing that as a writer he's fulfilling promises that he's making and he's not cheating it's yeah. not dishonest and that's i mean i th- in some ways babylon 5 spoiled me for future shows where i just thought like oh you know that's what happens on serialized tv like i had to it took me getting burnt so many times to realize like right oh no babylon 5 is special yeah. you know there's not it's not the way that a lot of shows do this that's i'm nervous about seasons four and five because i know that they wrapped up the story early I, yeah i i very i have very vague memories of five i do remember season four being extremely emotionally satisfying yeah i'm really i'm i yeah i guess i'm really excited for four because like that's it seems like the vision was this, the vision was this initial story, and that yeah. was wrapped up by four because they had to. Yeah. And that five kind of maybe is some loose ends, yeah. from what I understand. Yeah. And a bit of a, I don't want to say a bit of an afterthought, um, but it it definitely has the like, oh, wait, uh, didn't we wrap it? Didn't we finish everything? Yeah. There's some suggested viewing orders that say don't watch the final episodes of season four until, until after, after season right, five. Right, which I disagree with. I think you have <laughs> yeah. to kind of go with what was there. Yeah, I'm just going to try to... I'm going to watch it all in release order. Like, yeah. I, I I feel like the order in which people saw it, uh, the order in which like pop culture was introduced to things yeah. is most, most often my favorite way to experience them because yeah. it's usually the author telling you to read things in different order, but... Um, uh, I feel like most of the times the author is wrong. <laughs> yeah. There's sometimes where, so like Crusade, which I didn't really like at, when I first saw it, that I am going to give a chance after we finish watching uh, all of these. There's three different viewing orders. Whoa. There's the, there's the order they were filmed in. There's the order that TNT showed them in. Mm. And then there's the order that JMS has his preferred, like, this is what he would have wanted them to be shown in. Yeah, so, that's a little different. Yeah, so I'm and I and I'm willing to, you know. Yeah, that's that's tricky. Firefly is actually another good thing, example of yeah. something like that, where the like the release order of Firefly was actually really fucked up. Yeah, and that that was bad for the story. Right, and you actually kind of have to watch it in the intended order to have it for Joss Whedon yeah. because that's when they were like. When they were shot and made, they were supposed to be in this particular order, right? But the like Fox decided that the show was going to fail, so they went with their like most flashy episodes, yeah. Uh, and it was out of order, and it, it didn't make any sense to people, so it didn't catch on, right? Right. That's never. Yeah. That's not so a I good take idea. back what I said before. I'm thinking of like Star Wars. I would never yes. want someone to watch the prequels first. I agree. That's, and, that's that's and like the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe series. Right. Exactly. Yeah. I I think that kind of. Uh, the equivalent of like a fan edit is is not the way you should do it. Yeah. Even though you could say like, oh, the Babylon Five, the the first movie. There's a movie called In the Beginning that was broadcast, I think, before season four started. So in between season three and season four. Okay. That some people are told to watch this first 
But before season four? No, before season one. They're saying watch this before oh. you watch the show. But if you watch it, you you'll see uh Sheridan, you'll see like old evil Londo on Centauri where it's Whoa. getting bombed. It's just like a chock full of spoilers, really. Yeah. But it sets up it's 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 um the intention of it, I think, was to kind of remind people of what had happened from the first three seasons okay. and, and act as a sort of a misguided but good-hearted, like, what if you were just now hearing about Babylon 5? So that's next for me, then. I didn't realize that. Yeah. So, I, I, I yeah, I was going to talk to you about this either on or off the mic. But, yeah, yeah the, 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 the in-the-beginning TV movie, it's like an hour-and-a-half movie, Okay, uh, uh, is uh, in some ways the next thing that comes out. Okay. Um and it's it doesn't it doesn't push the plot forward but it's part of it. Okay. But there's I'll like, watch it. There's like three or other there's a there's a handful of other movies, Babylon 5 movies that right. are interspersed now throughout season 4 and 5 that right. aren't on the DVDs. There's a separate DVD that's like right. all the movies. Right. So Which you, sucks. It's yeah, like cuz it doesn't Doctor also, Who does the same thing uh right. with the Christmas specials. But see, at least I was going to say the Doctor Who ones are good because you know that they're at the end of the season and it's right. always in between seasons. These, right. who knows? So you actually go. need to look up. I, I did when I first started watching the show. I did look up a viewing order. Yeah, and that and it did tell me that that I needed to watch these things interspersed with season four. Right. I'm glad you reminded me because yeah. I forgot. So the movies are interesting, but they're basically like good episodic episodes. They're not part of the main plot. Cool. I don't ever remember any of them moving anything forward whatsoever. I just remember them being like, oh, it's a decent Babylon 5 episode. I wonder why those got made then. And the rights of them are different. Apparently, Warner Brothers owns the rights to the show and JMS owns the rights to the movies or vice versa. But like, basically, different people own the rights to the show and to Babylon 5 movies. That's so bizarre. Yeah, That's like Star Wars was owned by Fox... The, the distribution rights for the first uh, six movies, I think. Right. Until it all went to Lucasfilm. Yeah. And now that F- Disney bought Fox, the possibility of actually getting original releases right. is, is now on the table. Yeah, yeah, Which yeah. would be so cool. Like, none of that special edition bullshit. Right. <laughs> I can get rid of my old VHSs finally. Yeah, totally. You asked what brought me here. Before I left Minbar, I was given a letter from 900 years ago. Whose handwriting is this? Mine. I wrote this from the past, 900 years ago. I went. It's as simple as that. This season felt less like I wanted to talk about the characters and more just like every, everything. Everything, yeah. Everything. It's so like the story, you know? Because now the character arcs are all really tied into the story in yeah. a really cool way. Um, I mean, I like Jakar has become this like wise monk. Yes. Which is fucking Cool. Yeah, yeah. Because we had a lot of discussions about Jakar yeah. season one, yeah. where, where I still firmly believe that Jakar's portrayal in season one is meant to make you think about Klingons yeah. and meant to make you think about aggressive alien warrior races mm-hmm. just to help the transformation of him into something else be that much more, have that much more weight and import behind yeah. it. He's now my favorite character. Yeah. Like, like yeah. I... Londo was my favorite at first. Yeah. But it's hard to love Londo anymore. Well, I, yeah. I mean, it's now it's a point of you can love the writing of him and the portrayal of him. Yeah. But just as a person. Right. You can't because he's, right. you know. But you, but you nailed it where like I'm every time he comes on screen, I'm still thrilled to see him because yes. the writing and the performance is so yeah, good. Yeah. So 
in some ways he is i mean he's still definitely one of my favorite characters yeah. but the person that i'm like rooting for the most it's is Jakar. probably either jakar or delenn yeah. i would say yeah uh, there's a lot of people that say that the Lon- the the story of babylon 5 is about the story of londo and jakar i've heard like, that a lot that that's and i i think it's i think that they are thematically tied right into it that they hit you know jakar has hits the religious things londo yeah. hits the corruption of power and right. redemption things you know yeah totally it's really interesting and to know that in the first episode of the first season maybe Londo talks about his prophetic vision he had right. of knowing that Jakar was going to kill him right. and that we finally see that now yeah. in season three. That's another great like, yeah, this isn't an arbitrary throwaway thing. I firmly believe that Straczynski had that in mind of like, this is part of the arc of Londo and Jakar. Yeah. And then when you see it, it also like raises a lot of questions as to what's actually happening in that moment. Oh, yeah. Uh, because at first you assume that they're just enemies yeah. and he's killing him. But then when you see it, he's it's like freeing him. Like something else is going on here. Yeah. You know, like... uh like this is not what what we've been expecting it to be, right? And there's stuff in <sighs> that's happened yeah. between now and then yep. that is going to shape this moment in a way that we don't yet understand. Yep. And that to me felt again like just incredible writing. Yeah, because you can basically say this character kills that character in the future. Yeah. And it can still be surprising when you see it happen. Yeah, that's like uh, we were talking a little bit about Last Jedi, talking about like spoilers right like this the sh- this is a situation where the show gives you a spoiler yeah so that it can show you that your preconceptions about it and were then wrong. subvert their own yeah. yeah 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 and that's just cool yeah i mean that's that's a really good way to tell a story there's in the babylon 5 is filled with so many of these like really well done really interesting small things and large things the the episode with londo and jakar trapped in the elevator together oh my god i love that such an interesting and it and i feel like that subverts an expectation that you would have of two characters that were you know jovial enemies in the first season bitter hatred enemies and then reaching this weird equilibrium the setup for that would be like now they have to work together so they can both be saved yeah but instead you have jakar like no, I would die yeah. to watch you die. Yeah, and just it's laughing at just him. Just laughing like, no, I'm not going to help you. Yeah. And I really love that because I do think in other hands, that story would have been, we work together in this one moment to get out. Doesn't this mean that there may be hope? Yeah, that's totally what Star Trek would have done. That's exactly what Star Trek would have done. Yeah. And I loved this. Yeah. I, I yes. loved that episode. That really stuck out to me. Yeah. I love the episode where Jakar gets the uh the drug to make him Dust. Yeah. Yeah, dust to make him telepathic yeah. so he can kick the shit out of Londo. Yeah, so he but he learns the truth also yeah. that like Londo was a pawn. Yeah. And I, I think that maybe that's the first step in whatever their relationship is going to become in the future. Because he kills, or he helps Rifa get killed for Londo after that. Right. So he's effectively, like, working with Londo, even though, yeah, you know. Right. Because Rifa, I mean, Rifa's a real piece of shit. Yeah, well, by Rifa's own admission, he was the one that said, let's bomb the Narn home world. Right, and, right. And I do, I do think Londo's a piece of shit, but that was, for him, that had that been was a too bridge far. too far. Yeah, yeah but he, he's... 
He could have stopped that, but he didn't he try. Did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and he's still I, he's still culpable yes. for it. Yeah, and he still looks at Narn as lesser beings. Totally, but that was not his idea, and it wasn't something that he wanted to do. Yeah, and there is a line there. You yeah. know, it's, it that, makes him a really it's a it's he's a really an interesting, complicated character. Totally, yeah. It's a really well written character, and I mean, just watching these these two guys develop into something that seems like it's a really powerful relationship yeah. even if it's good or bad it's just powerful yeah uh that's a really cool thing to see it's you know that so it's so unusual like two people whose orbits are just kind of circling each other in a powerful way sometimes with like violent joy and sometimes with incredible sadness and yeah. pain but they still circle each other yeah there's some there's an equilibrium there that's so fascinating. Yeah, and, and for title characters in in a, a genre show. Yeah, I mean it's like I said, it's I keep saying it. There's just there's nothing else before or for years after Babylon Five that approached that kind of storytelling. And none of it is done for shock value. No, you know, like when you watch Heroes, that yeah. sort of thing keeps happening. But it's just because these are the main cast members and right. they have to be busy. Right. So they're still like inter- intertwined together in new and different ways. Yeah. But it's all it's all part of one story in Babylon 5. Yeah. Like the, these two characters have an arc that was that predates the show even being made. Right. You know, like JMS knew what their arc was going to be before anyone stepped foot onto a soundstage. Yep. And absolutely. it's obvious yep. from episode one. Yep. And he proves it to you beyond a shadow of a doubt in season three. Yeah. It's so good. Yeah, totally. It's, it's so satisfying. Yeah. I like it. And it's exactly, it's satisfying. It's, I want to. I want promises to be kept if yeah. they're made in a show. Because I'm the type of fan that uh, when I see people make stuff and not worth, know where they're going, um, it bothers me. Yes. Because I feel like uh, it's just not necessarily good storytelling. Yeah. To not know the beginning, middle, and end of your story it's before you start lazy. to tell it. Yeah. I mean, yeah. improv is fine for what it is, but it's not fine for right. serialized TV. Totally. Like with Star Trek, I mean, it's totally different because you're just saying we want these characters to grow and yep. we don't want to really develop a story. We want right. to develop these characters. Yeah. And then the story grows naturally through the characters and that's really, really effective. Yeah. But for a, a serialized story, like if you don't know where you're going, do not tell a serialized story. Right. It's offensive to me. Yeah. Or you wind up with with uh, uh, obscene, in my mind, obscene reversals yeah. where suddenly you need the story or you've decided to make the story go in this way and now you have characters doing things that are just so... Yeah, like heroes of once upon a time have done that yeah. a lot. And yeah. it's just like a twist for the sake of a twist. And, and that the characters is break. That, uh, yeah, and I think uh, I use the word offensive. What I actually mean is boring. Yeah. It's boring <laughs> to me. Like, I, I will not invest my time into a show yeah. that is doing that. And that's why I stopped watching Once Upon a Time yeah. a, uh, like a year or two ago. And Babylon 5 is great because Londo, it's a slow boil you know it's a slow a slow peeling back and it's a slow movement of him towards being basically a villain yeah but there's nothing about londo in the very beginning where he's just a drunk bitter right you know joke of an ambassador there's nothing there that 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 says he's a villain but there's nothing there that says that oh yeah, yeah. if given infinite power he would be polite and put it away yeah totally and in season three when he is a villain there's nothing there that wasn't already established in season one yeah it's and, all it all fits yep yep and jakar's journey is also i think equally as large and 
plausible every step of the way. Totally. Yeah, I mean, they're doing what George Lucas failed to do with Darth Vader, which was yes. to say, how does someone yes. become this? Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, and I mean, that was the whole premise of the prequels was like, we're going to see how Anakin Skywalker turns into Darth Vader. I'm like, fuck yeah, that sounds great. Right. And they didn't do that at all. I mean, right. they did it in like really short little scenes, but it was pretty much like you snap your fingers and he's bad. Yeah, basically. Yeah. Oh, he was, he's like an, an angry, impetuous youth. Yeah. And then a bad thing happens to him and now he's evil. Yeah. He has this moment where he has to choose and then he just is evil for the rest of his life. Right. It it did not land. It did not feel like anything had happened. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. It's it's so that that to me is like one of the biggest missed opportunities Agreed. in pop culture. Yeah, I feel like they, they that's that's making a promise and not keeping it. Totally, where you've decided to set the story back when this uh, classic villain of cinema history is a child, and then you do nothing with it. Then just should have should have made an old Republic movie or should have done totally something else entirely. Yeah, yeah. But it's interesting because it was made by the creator George Lucas, and right. he had this vision of of who that character was and how he was going to develop. Right. But when he went back to make it, he just missed. Didn't do it. He missed the thing that was important about doing that. Yep. And made something really flashy and fun and exciting. Right. Or but empty. Yeah, or it's just ultimately like he's not that good of a writer. Like he didn't really have it Maybe. in him, you know. I mean, like, yeah, like Lawrence Kasdan wrote Empire. Right, I was going to say Star Wars was his one good movie in that sense, yeah. you know. Yeah, and I mean, he wrote the first one on his own. Right. And it's the only one except for the prequels that he wrote on his own. Yeah. He wrote all three of the prequels. Which are, I think he had some help on this second or third or something. Yeah, there's there's also the story about his wife. His wife, yeah. And helping with the editing totally. of the story. Yeah, his wife was a big part of episodes four and five, but not six. Yeah. And people think that's why Jedi suffered. And then the prequels yeah. was more a singular vision instead of this like combining of visions, kind of like uh, Delenn and, yeah, and yeah, Sheridan. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I don't know. It's really interesting. I, I'm so interested in like auteurs you know writer Agreed. directors that's why again as we'll keep bringing it back to babylon 5 yeah this is an auteur show yes and it's something that none of the star treks can uh, i guess the original series could to some degree be a roddenberry so. just but there's he so many other writers written so many more right. episodes it's just i think his vision the only other person i can think of who does this is aaron sorkin yeah who, like who, yeah. Do, who who's an, a television auteur where right. he writes 90 percent of the scripts yeah yep. yeah uh, and and the scripts he doesn't write, he tells people what to write. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's interesting. It's, yeah, it's not a common thing. I love it. I mean, I yeah. love Aaron Sorkin shows like yep. Sports Night, West Wing, and some of those are deeply flawed individually, you know, yeah. as well. And like West Wing's an interesting example because you get to see him run four years and then and then be kicked out and then yeah, see someone else do back. three years. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and it was good without him, but it was not anywhere near as good. It's not the same. It, yeah, yeah, it didn't have this. There's like this sense of of direction and purpose from from autoristic works. Is that even a word? <laughs> I don't know. Uh, Might have the, made that up. <laughs> sounded good. I was I'm saying gonna... they're canon, but that's not the autoristic. Yeah. That's it's... something that worries me about the new Star Wars. Is that uh, I felt like you know, without going into spoilers about like Force Awakens versus Last Jedi, it felt like different filmmakers. Yeah. It felt like those two movies had different trajectories and purposes. Yep. yep. And I'm very curious how that's going to work once there's a third one. Yeah. Especially because now that's going to be created by the person who made the first of those yeah. three. Yeah. Really interesting. I mean, I, that's that's like this level under filmmaking that I'm really fascinated with. Yeah. I'm really looking forward to it. Yeah, me too. 
But yeah, Babylon 5 is like rife with that, where you can see the benefit of giving someone with a vision the resources to bring it to fruition. Yep. And he just needed someone to say, like, that's not a funny joke. Yeah. You know? Or like, that outfit looks stupid. (laughs) Or to exist... This idea is bad. This is a bad idea. This this goes nowhere. Love the show. Love what you're doing. I would definitely (laughs) rethink this one thing. Besides that, you're okay. It's so interesting to, in the broader level to think about, like, if you've never had any exposure to Babylon 5, except you started to watch some of the first season, to be able to tell somebody, like, this show is so good, it makes these things worthwhile. Like, yeah. It's, it's hard to believe. There's so much bad. Yeah. <laughs> there's so much bad stuff and so many just, like, flat-out terrible episodes, but that it legitimately... It's it's emotionally moving. Oh yeah, that's the other thing. Totally, I can't think of anything that emotional during the first five seasons so far of Deep Space Nine. Like, mm. there's some good stuff, or like, oh, I'm happy with this. But this this season, there were moments where I was just like, God damn. Yeah, dude, is- I was like surprisingly ripped apart by Kasha's death. Yes, that like hit me out of nowhere. Yeah, I was like, why? Why am I so upset about this? It, it was so well done. It's you get to see. First of all, you get to see Kosh being pissed off. Yeah, like angry, and then, and then the the sort of the the explanation of the anger later on is basically like, I've been alive so long, I knew that this would kill me. So yeah, I got pissed off. Yeah, uh, the, the the Kosh conversation as uh, um, Sheridan's dad. Yeah, is so good because it feels like a legitimate father son conversation. Yeah, there's so much I wanted to tell you. You know, that was so great. Yeah, I, I loved the relationship between Kosh and Sheridan, and yeah. and then like losing it in such a painful way. Yeah, was so good. And then the the then the new Vorlon being a dick. <laughs> yeah, totally. Like starting from scratch, just with a the hard ass. Yeah, yeah. I think that like story wise, it was also a really good idea because you have a god figure on board who yeah. has all the answers, right? And is warming up to the crew, right? Warming up to Sheridan in particular. Yeah. Uh. So, so taking that away is really important as far as keeping the plot moving at a speed that like makes sense. Yes. And also really helps set up Sheridan as like such a solid character that you really want to follow and trust. Yeah. I mean, I'm thinking at this point, like. I can't even imagine Sinclair running the ship anymore. Yeah, it's like running the White Star. I can't even imagine Sinclair commanding the White Star. Yeah, and I think that I really, really think that if that wasn't part of his plot, if he had had um, the uh, Sinclair around as an actor, yeah, uh, to switch over to having somebody like Sheridan come in, who could be the true military commander, you know. And I, I almost wonder if the show was done a favor, maybe. I mean, yeah. who knows? Like, it's so it's effective how it works. Yeah. It's hard to imagine how it could have been different. Yeah. Where I'm I think, so curious, though. Yeah, I think the Talia and um, oh God, Lena yeah. thing, I think that was... I think that was a disservice to the show. Absolutely. It would have been better if they had just kept Talia from the pilot. Uh, or just from Lita the whole time. Just kept Lita yeah, the whole yeah, time yeah, and, totally. not, and not, not had, had Talia, Talia come in. Uh, I totally agree. But I think that Talia was set up because they gave her basically like, look, you have super psychic powers. Yeah. And then it never gets brought back up again. But now we can clearly see like, oh, she was going to be needed right. to fight the shadow. She right. was going to be part of the war effort for sure. We Yeah, we had to have a psychic. Yeah. There's, no, there's no way to succeed without a psychic. And a psychic that has like, Beyond like a P- P12. P12, yeah. Yeah, because that was when that that dude, Jason or somebody, 
who became like a space being, you know, remember that? Like, right, and then yeah. gave her uh, telekinesis. Yeah. And, and uh, then skedaddled. So I really, totally. I think that those were promises that don't get paid off because of because, these other yeah. circumstances. But that definitely was the direction that was going. Yeah. But then they, they did a similar thing of setting up Lita as being above average by being off with the Vorlons. Right. And being right, the right, assistant right. to Kosh and having this relationship with Kosh. Yeah. So I, those things seem like, uh, I, I agree with you that it seems like they're going in similar directions and just kind of finding a way to replace... To fix the story based on outside yeah. externalities. Yeah, like these characters need to exist for this specific reason at this yeah. specific moment in the story. Because so if this character is gone, yeah. we have to get this other character there. Yep. And I think that's where he found really good ways of setting people yes. up for success as characters, yep. particularly with uh, Sheridan and Lita. And I yeah, mean, I think the Sheridan-Sinclair story works. I feel like that was adjusted but works really well, perhaps even better than intended. Yeah. And then the Lita, uh, Thalia one, Talia doesn't quite yeah. work. Talia leaving was a, was a bust. Yeah. For me. And it but just, Lita coming in was great. Yeah. I like her I so much. I really better. like her a lot. Yeah. I liked her in the pilot a lot more. Me too. Anyway, I, I, I just felt like, like Talia as a character always just felt very poorly drawn to me. Yeah. And it was weird the way, it, it wasn't just acting choice. It was the stories that she was involved in. Right. She always tended to be this like it was the damsel in distress. Yeah. But I don't know why he wrote her so badly. Yeah. And then didn't write uh, um, Lita that way yeah. in the pilot or when Lita comes back. It's really weird. It is perplexing. Yeah. But I mean, I think for the health of the show, it seems like a good switch to make. Yeah. That was that one worked out well. Yeah. But speaking of uh, Talia, it was really interesting to hear. Uh, Ivanova come out and say I think I was I think in love with yeah, Talia yeah so I mean proving your theory from yep. from season two that I did not even pick up on until you right. mentioned it that there was like some sort of love she wasn't going staying on over just for convenience sake that they yeah yeah I yeah. think that they had a physical relationship yeah that then unfortunately sorry go ahead oh that couldn't be shown because of the time I see unfortunately um I feel like the way those two characters were written just made it seem so implausible to me that they could ever have yeah. a relationship beyond friendship because they hated each other so much for so long. So this is a, another issue, I think, with the accelerated plot that some of it comes out in season four where there's some weaknesses because they just need to race to the end. Right. Where the relationship between Delenn and Sheridan is really drawn out throughout season three. Yeah. And it feels good. It, yeah. it feels like a natural flow. I believe that the um, Ivanova and uh, Talia relationship was supposed to be drawn out over season two. That mm. it wasn't supposed to suddenly be like, because it's really like when you see it is the episode before or the it's one. the episode she leaves. Where in. she leaves, right? Yeah. And that, that feels like all of the weaknesses of of episodic television where you're just right. jumping in a bunch of information. Oh, these people are in love and they have a relationship and that's why it hurts that, you know, this thing is happening. Right. And I think that they would have been able to draw that out over a longer period. I agree. Cause when they were getting along, I really liked it. Yeah. And as a, as the first step in a new budding relationship, I really liked it. And if yeah. they had been doing that for another like half a season before they'd ever had their first kiss or something, right. I would have bought it a hundred percent. But, but given the fact that they were like friends for a day and then like yeah. six months later, she's <laughs> like, I think I was in love with her. Yeah. I'm like, ah, I don't know about that. Yeah. I, I mean, I'm, I'm happy for you and your life choices, yeah. but, <laughs> but I don't know if I buy that from a writing perspective. On the other hand, we were probably spared a potentially embarrassing uh, lesbian plot line written by JMS hmm. who 
may not have handled it with the tact and grace. Yeah, I don't know if he'd be up to that challenge based off of yeah. Garibaldi. Yeah, or he might have had his own weird ideas of what messages. Yeah. Like, he's somebody who sometimes strikes me as well-meaning, but still just fumbling through what he's trying to do. Yeah, like, if he'd, if he'd told a lesbian story that at all fetishized yeah. the relationship, it would have been a disaster. Absolutely. And Absolutely. I think that there was definitely a, a possibility the of possibility that happening. possibility for that, yeah. <laughs> Given his writing style. Yeah, and he does have kind of... In a show that is taking place in the year 2260, the year that the Shadow War came to Earth, <laughs> uh, he does have really dated views about gender roles and oh, yeah. sexuality. Totally. It's just rife throughout the whole show. Yeah. And it's just him. It's clearly just... Well, he's a product of... Uh, like the patriarchy. Yeah, you know? <laughs> yeah. And it doesn't. he doesn't question any of those things. It's, yeah. it's interesting because he... He does create, uh, I think, uh, women with with some interesting roles and backgrounds. Yeah. He clearly cares about portraying the idea of a diverse future, even if yeah. he's not doing a lot of it in his own casting of the show. Yeah. So it's he's <laughs> as a writer, it feels like someone who has the right ideas, but isn't really good about portraying them. Yeah, I think that he really knocked it out of the park with Delenn. Yeah. Uh, and really showed a strong, powerful, feminine yes. character. Yes. Uh so he's definitely capable of it. And I think that issues with other characters are come down more to issues with the way that women are written in film and TV in general. And yes. maybe he, when he doesn't know what to do and fills in with things that he, with, with, with uh, specifics that he thinks should be there. Right. He falls back on some of that stuff. Absolutely. And a lot of it is, is like kind of unintentionally sexist. Yep. Agreed. Because most, like our culture is very sexist. And if you fall back on our culture, you're going to do it accidentally. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and it's something that like people need to be aware of and think about when they're, you Working know, on something. Working on something, interacting with human beings, yeah. just like talking to anyone about anything. It's yeah. something that people need to be aware of. Agreed. Um, so, and it's and it's hard to watch a show where that's a little bit absent, uh, but it's also hard to remember that this is like twenty years ago. Something, yes. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It, it's it's it, it. In some ways, things like that help it feel dated, even though uh-huh. in other ways, I, I mean, I I feel like this is something that will always exist as a at the very least, a cult classic of of uh, 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 sci-fi television. Yeah. And is, yeah, it's, there's a reason. It's one of my favorite shows. Yeah. And that anyone I think I can convince to watch it, uh, I definitely will. And then once they're hooked, prepared to watch it, then I have to tell them, oh, yeah, but it's also garbage in so many places. <laughs> yeah, totally. Are there, are there other big moments that we've forgotten? Um, yeah, we did. We haven't really t- talked about the the end. The Zahadum. Yeah, Zahadum. Yeah, the, that was like, I love that, like, Z minus 14 days, Z minus seven days. Mm-hmm. He's Sheridan has been told repeatedly, don't go to Zahadum. Yeah. Don't go there. Kosh, before he died, said, okay, but now when you go to Zahadum, I can't help you. You're going to die. Yeah. And then they start the final three uh, episodes and they tell you Z minus 14 days, you know he's going to Zahadoom. Right. Even though he's repeatedly been told not to go there. Do you think Z minus is in reference to Zahadoom instead of T minus? Oh, 100%. Because is, is, Z minus is not something that's used anywhere except for right there, right? Because like, that's not a thing. They're right? counting down to, to Zahadoom. How many days okay. before Sheridan does this thing he definitely should not be doing? 
Delenn yeah. in the future tells him, don't go to Zahadum. Yeah. And it's so interesting because it seems like, based off of what happened, and I don't know what happened yet. Right. It seems like it is important that he go. You yeah, know, it, I, I do too, because... It, it seems like maybe things would have been worse if not for the sacrifice of him going. Yeah, which is interesting because then you have all these people telling him not to do it. Right, and then why? Why would they do that? Because they know. probably love him, you know? But it's also like in his character to do what is bad for him if he knows it's good for the galaxy. Absolutely, so, yeah, that he will sacrifice. So it's interesting that you could tell someone so many times not to do something and there's just no way that they're ever going to listen. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah There's yeah, no yeah. way that he was ever going to listen to that. Yeah, he has to do it. Yeah. Um. So, yeah, and, the, and then, like, I mean, he... It looked like he just, like, exploded. So, I don't know. We'll find out, I guess, in the beginning of season four what the right. fuck happened at the end there. Yeah, so... Uh- I don't remember. Now it's been too long for me to remember specifically uh, what had happened. But just looking at season three, clearly he lives in some fashion, even though they told him he was going to die. Yeah. Because when he flashes to the future uh, where he's in prison with Delenn. Yeah, uh, Delenn uh, thinks that she that he's like her her husband. Right, and right. they've had a life together. Right, and that they have a son named David. So yeah. she's not surprised and it's she not, knows that he went to Zahandum, so he obviously doesn't die, but like some sort of death must occur. Right, right. So, like death of spirit or something. Yeah. I don't know. And at this time, it's only because I've been watching it more closely. Uh, when uh, Londo gets the prophecy from the um, Majel Barrett. From Majel Barrett. Yeah, yeah I forget, that's right. I forget what her character's name was. Me too. But um, one of the prophecies was don't kill the man who's already dead. She Whoa. tells him, you have three chances to save yourself. Uh, right, right, right. Right. Uh, don't kill the man who's already dead. Something about the eye that doesn't see. And then finally embrace your biggest fear, even though you know it will destroy you. Hmm. Uh, and I wondered if the don't kill the man who's already dead is something to do with the Sheridan dying but not dying kind of thing. Here. Interesting. Yeah, I'm excited to see what that means. Yeah. Because, I, I mean, for no, at no point in time did I think that he's dead. Right. Like, at no point in time did I think he's not coming back next season. I right. just don't know what happened there and how he's coming back. Yeah. Um, but I did, I did appreciate, I don't know, his willingness to just kind of blow that meeting up, you know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to the trap, but I'm going to bring some bombs with me. Totally. Yeah. I mean, the whole storyline with his wife coming back and basically like her personality had been totally erased. Yeah. I mean, also discovering that that's probably what happened to Morden. Yeah. That, like Morden is not really a human anymore. He's like, well, been... I don't, I, have, I disagree. You think so? Yeah. Or I, like his original personality is no, gone. I think, think, I think, I think Morden is Olando. I think they, okay. I think they had this ship, the the interplanetary exploration ship, the IPX ship. It goes to Zahadum. They find the shadows, yeah, and then the shadows are basically like, "Hey, who's gonna join us? This is what we're doing." And then Borden's like, "Yeah, right, that seems cool." And so now he works with them. Interesting. And he is given power, almost certainly. He has power and, yeah and wealth and, and whatever wealth and whatever he wants. he wants yeah yeah because that's that's the whole that's the question that more than asked people what do you want yeah i mean, I mean he was talking about like the whole shadows way of thinking about how um like you, people fighting each other is how the strong right come through and the galaxy improves right um the, he just seemed to be like a true believer in whatever this sort of that's fascist what I'm, that's what i'm thinking is happening yeah. he was like but f- and because of that i assume that maybe they had because uh um 
Is it Anna? Right, Anna Because Anna was also that way. I assume that maybe they'd both been overwritten in a similar way. Yeah, I think Anna was one who refused to go along with it. So then they say that either they're killed or they agree to serve. Yeah. And so, uh, except instead of being killed, they're throwing people into ships to make them fly the ships. Right. And then what they said was once they learned, oh, this asshole who's fighting us, the guy at Babylon 5, we actually have his wife plugged into one of our ships. Let's take her out of the ship. Right. And then send her out here to go do stuff for us to go get him here. Yeah. So that by that point, they had just basically broken her brain yeah. from being inside of that. That's so intense. But, the, but I think that Morden is not anything different than Malari. He's just somebody yeah. Interesting. who yeah. was offered the temptation of power and took it. I could definitely see him going being either. Yeah. He's a really interesting character. And I actually have come to really appreciate his portrayal. I do too, He yeah. seemed really flat to me at first, yeah. but after the Zaha Doom episode, I'm like, I want to see more of that guy. Yeah, and like, it's... I, this he, all makes sense to me now. It's like smarmy evil. Yeah. See, and I, I want him to not have been manipulated by the shadows because it's one of the yeah. things that I like about the the what we keep saying about how this works is that it's not a mind control yeah. story it's not a it's not a like oh the shadows or like like in uh, lord of the rings where it's like there's literally a magical thing whispering in your ear or poisoning right. you and making you have crazy thoughts this is a, <laughs> a super powerful alien race who said what do you want i will give you what you want but you have to it's a deal with the devil right you'll get these things you want but you have to do these other things you have to make these compromises and give you a a system of thought that will make it even seem like you're doing a good thing yeah and i think that's far more interesting yeah than, i agree i agree you know i do agree that i prefer it that way um yeah well i i man i love season three yeah i like overall, I I had like moments where I was bothered by it. Like when when Garibaldi was on that, you know, like uh, like Black Fourteen is missing or something. What oh, was that g- section? G- Gray Seventeen. Gray is Seventeen missing. is missing. That's a terrible episode. That episode was bad, and yep. some stuff with like Stephen going on his walkabout. Yep, wasn't necessarily bad episodes, but like didn't, didn't feel like it there. needed to be there. This is all the um, stuff I'm going to replace with uh, Sinclair. Or, um, yeah, Sinclair training. Yeah, totally. Rangers. Like there were moments where it felt like there was like wasted space in the sure. season, but yep. they were few. Yep. I mean, they were rare. It's and, a, yeah, it's a market improvement from seasons one and two. Yeah. And there was a couple of times where I was like foaming at the mouth to find out what happened next. Yes. I mean, the, the two parters, you know, the, the one where they like break away, where they break away from earth. That yep. was insane. I yeah. mean, I, and that good was space battles, like thrilling. Yeah. Yep. And the space battles even were thrilling to yep. me. They, the, everything had a sense of stakes and reality and yep. importance. Uh, I mean, and and then of course, like the two parter where you go back to Babylon Four, and like that 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 was like high point of the show so far. Yeah, and that to me is one of the best uh, altogether two two part episodes, a four part episode right. of science fiction history. Yeah, like I would hold I that totally up against that. so many other shows of just like being such a well done. Yeah, I'd I'd be interested to just watch those four again. Yeah, you know, and yeah. just kind of see that because. Yeah, that shit was just so well done, and it hit on... It's bold. Yeah, it hit on a lot of things that I... Re- 
a lot of the things that I love about science fiction that are unique to science fiction, yeah. as far as like these, this is the only place where you can tell a story like this and still make it feel real. Yes, you yeah, know? yeah, yeah. Uh, like Star Wars does that for me. Star Wars is like realistic fantasy. Yep, 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 yep. <laughs> where, like it's still fantasy, but it feels real and therefore is sci-fi. Yeah, and Babylon 5 feels very grounded in reality. Uh, yes. Again, with the whole Earth government being you know, an imperfect and, you know, now fascist governments. Yeah. You know, that's, that is really interesting. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. And I, having the sense that the whole universe is out to get you yeah. and the only safe place is Babylon five yeah. is really cool. Yeah. And it, it makes the show feel more insular in a way that I really, really like yeah. where the characters feel more important because they're at this one place that is fair. Yes. And they're in charge of this one place that is the only place trying to do the right thing. So I have an interesting thought on this sort of on that, that, that I occurred to me in this watching of it is that, uh, Kosh specifically manipulates Jakar into coming to the belief that sacrifice for the greater good is noble and important and necessary at this moment in time, hmm. which then allows the Narns to do a lot more uh, for this project, for this war of the shadows, you right. know, of helping Babylon 5, of you know, giving their own soldiers over to right. defend Babylon five, right. Right. To send out that ship at one point in time to go right. fight the shadows, all of that stuff. I and, love and to also to have Jakar give up his quest of revenge for the murder of his planet. Right. But that's the, the vision that he has while he's on dust. It's partially a vision of that, but it's also, Definitely Kosh. That's right. Kosh was totally in that vision. Kosh is, and Kosh is appearing to him as his religious right. figure, as right, his, right, as right, Jaquan. Right. Yeah. And he basically has Narn Jesus yeah. telling him sacrifice is good. Yeah. And then, then, okay, so then now you don't be mad about all of the sacrifice your people are making. It's really like, that's the, he's the good guy, the Vorlons. That's such an interesting yeah, concept. That is fascinating. And that is also such a big turning point for Jakar where uh, he became so much more interesting to me after that. Yep, and he really worthy of being part of the war yes, council. Yes. Because uh, up until that point, and rightly so, his biggest concern was like, Almost all of my people have been wiped out. Right. We need to keep, we need to keep ourselves strong and we alive. We need to stay together, right. And we need alive. to get revenge yeah. against the Centauri. Yeah, I, I do think uh, that was... I felt like he absolutely wanted that, but it was more as like a maybe next generation, yeah. you know? Like, we need to start fighting now so that in a generation we can be free. Right. Uh, he was really concerned about the freedom of his people. Right, right. Um, from Centauri rule. But then to recognize that there is a bigger threat to the entire universe and every able body needs to be there. Yep. And, and, then, and to bring his people to the table. And then this is the sacrifice that the Narns are making. Yeah. That was powerful. It was, it was really very powerful. powerful. And, and it's also so wonderfully acted. He's being manipulated into it to some degree. Yeah, totally. I didn't really think about that. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's, that, that's something that's a little troubling about the Vorlons that is actually, I mean, great writing right. and something C- else that I need to like, process some more is that they are manipulating people through religion right. and religious imagery to, and they're the to forces, tug on something and they're the forces that they've of probably planted in <laughs> yes. those societies like, yes. like billions of years before yeah. in some cases. Yep. That's really fascinating. Yeah. Really they said cool. that they said that they manipulated DNA, or at least that's the accusations that the shadow people made is yeah. that the Vorlons tinkered with people's genetics. Right. Yeah, it's uh 
it makes it a lot less clear who's right and who's wrong. Which is wonderful, especially when we've had three seasons of these are the evil shadow spider people right. who just want to murder everybody. Right. And I'm so curious to see what will happen with that next season. Yeah. Because they introduced that idea at the very like last moments of season three. Yeah. yeah, yeah maybe yeah. the shadows have a... Uh, I wouldn't. I mean, I didn't agree with their point of view, right? But, but it was a point of a view point that of was view. agreeable to. For I could imagine people agreeing with that point of view, right? It, yeah. it, now it becomes like, oh, is this just a philosophical difference between two right. giant, powerful space races? Right. You know. Yeah. I and I. But my my thought is still that the shadows are not really being truthful. That right. like this this version of what they're doing is like. Sarah Huckabee Sanders yes. spinning. It's propaganda. Yeah, it's propaganda based for the fact that they just want to control the galaxy. Right. And that the, yeah. but to their credit, the they've actually said what they're trying to do. Where the yeah. Vorlons are basically like, just do what we tell you to do. Yeah. You know, why? Because we're fighting evil. But we, what do you want? We're fighting evil. That's all you need to know. Yeah. Like, okay. <laughs> yeah, it's it's interesting the subtle distinction between that. Because to me it seems like the Vorlons are doing um what they think is best, but just for them. Right. But unfortunately that, that also comes with kind of deifying themselves to other people, Yeah. but they don't interfere with those other people enough to stop people from making their own choices. Sure. But they do influence those choices. Right. But the shadows are doing the same thing, but, right. but the shadows are doing it in a way to make people kill each other. Kill each other. Right. To yeah. make the, make so they the can swoop stronger. in and, and like clean up the mess afterwards. Yeah. Whereas the, the Vorlons seem to be doing it out of a desire for people to be able to defend themselves. Right. Not so, not for any other reason than to keep balance. Yeah. And I still, I still fall on that side of the argument, yeah. but their, but their strategies are so similar. It's, it's very cool. Yeah. I like it. It becomes <laughs> two sides of the same coin kind of thought. Yeah. Oh, and here's my last thought on Babylon five. If we're trying to wrap up, I like how the space battles in, in the Babylon five universe are brutal and quick. Yeah. Where in Star Wars and Star Trek, you can have these drawn out battles or you have two very powerful, equally matched ships. Uh, the uh, uh, latest Star Wars does that very explicitly. Right. Where there's a, it, <laughs> there's a there's a battle, a battle that takes place for, you know, like 45 minutes of the movie. Yeah. Uh, where like one one ship is, is running slowly from running from the other one slowly but the, running out of you know, fuel we have shields and you have lasers and as long as our shields hold up your lasers don't do anything right and star trek kind of has that where shields go down a bit and a bit in the babylon 5 universe like the shadow ships show up and they just carve people in half right they fire their laser your ship is done right the mimbari were literally unstoppable to humans right humans couldn't do anything against the it makes so much more sense i like it that way because it's just like yeah these are these are effectively the same it's as dangerous as people with guns in war on the ground it's except it's in space with the ships. Yeah. So if anyone has a gun on their ship, they're gonna destroy the shit out of your ship. Yeah. It, it also makes it feel like they're not starting battles for like just for action and adventure. Yeah. Because if you start a battle, you have to have a way to get people out of it alive. Right. And that's where the white star comes in. Right. And then like figuring out the telepaths, which reminds me of something I was going to say like an hour and a half oh, sure, ago, sure. which was uh, that I, I love the idea that finding any way to defend against themselves yes. is a huge deal. Yes. Finding any way to defend against this, this 
threat is a big deal. Yep. And that was very satisfying from a story perspective yep. to put them up against unbeatable odds, find a loophole, yeah. work on it, develop it, and try it at great risk to yourself and discover that it does work. This works, yeah. That's cool. I, like I really that. dug it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. because then before that, the Sheridan had just basically done two tricks right. of it's just like, and that was his expertise. That's the, that's the reason that he's the only person who ever killed a, a Mimari ship right. in the war was that he pulled some weird trick out of his ass. Yeah, he can see a third option. Yeah. Uh, where When there are no good options, he can come up with something yeah. that will maybe get him out alive. But it was clear that he was going to be out of those fighting the shadows, that that was it. So yeah. the 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 revelation of the telepaths, I agree with you, is great. Yeah. It's it's a nice, like, oh, we're learning a thing. We're progressing in this seemingly insurmountable odds. It felt like leveling up in a game. Yeah. Where, like, you... Or in Scientology? Yeah. <laughs> where, like, you discover some vital secret we to the some... whole organization that you're a part of <laughs> that you didn't even know about. Uh reminded me of this like knights of the old republic game there's this uh huge uh twist in the middle that i'm not going to spoil but uh, um yeah just like discovering that the world you're in has rules that you didn't know about yes yeah it's yeah. really sad it's like deeply satisfying to me to be in a story that does that yeah and th- i mean this show's doing a lot of that it is yeah it's really cool it's yeah I mean, we're on a podcast talking about Babylon 5, so I guess it's reasonable for me to keep saying how much I really enjoy the show. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, unlike seasons one and two, I really don't have, um, like, real negative things to say. Yeah, it's or to me, there's 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 less of what is already acknowledged to be bad about... Exactly. Yeah. And this, that stuff is not, not even a problem anymore because the good is outweighing it so heavily. So much, yeah. And then there, there's an episode coming up in season four that I remember specifically when it came out and being like really mad about it. Hmm. So I'm curious to see how I feel about it now in like a way that you thought it was dumb. Oh, it was just made me it's, it's, it's one of this thing where you're like, Oh, look at all this like mythology arc building. And then here's like, here's something that doesn't need to be here. Oh. And it's, and it's not written by JMS. Oh, weird. It's written by Harlan Ellison. Who's, Oh, you know, wow. Like conceptual consultant, conceptual consultant. Yeah. yeah. And notorious, you know, angry, sci-fi right. speculative fiction right. writer and it's just and i like Harlan Ellison as a writer but it's just not it's just not good so but i'm curious now like will i actually like it now or did i hate it did i only hate it back then because it interrupted the flow yeah so i don't know i'm very curious looking forward to that that's really interesting i'm excited to to get to that point for better or for worse for better or for worse yeah <laughs> But I'm definitely looking forward to watching me some season four. Yeah, now we can do it. I've been like, I, I finished the season three almost, almost two weeks ago, I think. Yeah. And I'm just like dying to get Itching. back into yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. I was so glad you could meet up today. Yes. <laughs> uh, well, Doug, thank you so much for coming back for yet another amazing My season of Babylon pleasure. 5. And remind us where we can find your creative work. Uh, Radiolarp.com. That's the thing that I'm most interested in pushing people towards. Yeah. Radio LARP, like L-A-R-P. L-A-R-P. Dot com. Yep. Like live action role playing or live action radio play. Or uh, Los Angeles Rat Patrol. <laughs> or um, living always remember problems. Remember problems, baby. <laughs> living always remember, remember problems. It's good advice. All right, man. This was awesome. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. I am called Valen, and we have much work ahead of us.
If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a positive rating and review on iTunes or the podcast platform of your choice. You can write to me at sci-fi at jessemercury.com or tweet at me at sci-fi project. I just set up a new voicemail box that you can call if you'd like to leave a message for me or for the podcast listeners. That is 541-649-2019. If you want to check out my game streaming on YouTube, you can find that at youtube.com slash sci-fi, along with my sci-fi synth pop music and music videos and some live podcasts and all sorts of other great stuff. And if you'd like to peruse my sci-fi podcast library, you can always find that at jessemercury.com. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time, stay nerdy out there. Bye.